This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Monday morning. Yeah, that was the weekend. That was the weekend that went by like that. And finally, and finally, Putin's sea sense. Finally, it's the messages sunk in. So from when we wrote the script at the beginning of the programme to now hearing what Putin has said, uh, it, uh, it looks like he's going to cooperate fully. And so he should. So he should. The papers asked the question, what have you got to hide, Mr Putin? The answer is billions, I should imagine. Absolute billions. Selena Scott in talks to be a Tory MP. Well, she's tried everything else and she's been successful at that. And uh, Katie Price's story. It's a four-day story on why somebody slept with her husband. She's so dumb. She really is. And uh, the perils of hiding your door key. All of that and more on LBC this morning. And your texts and tweets. 84850 Steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, Andrew Pearson for Nick Ferrari. Nick Ferrari, somewhere on a beach, I should imagine, on a sun lounger. Uh, just sipping something out of a coconut and having a wonderful time. So he's away for a week. Andrew Pierce will be in every day this week on LBC 97.3. And I will tell you now that if you're driving in London and you use the Hogarth roundabout, avoid it like the plague. I can't emphasise this enough. If you really want to sit there for 35 minutes while you have to get through the traffic lights, more fool you. I cannot warn people enough. I've tweeted it, I've tweeted it, I've told people every day, avoid the Hogarth roundabout. There'll still be some dumbos coming in from West London, coming in on 316, and it'll be solid later on. Avoid it. The advice is, if you're coming in from Richmond or the 316, come round via Brentford. It's much easier, much easier. Come in via the Great West Road, much easier, much easier. If you don't know, I mean, otherwise you're just going to be sitting in traffic. And, of course, there'll be some people, duh, have no idea that the Hogarth flyover is closed for the next six weeks. At least they're working on it. Most of them seem to be lounging around having fags. I've never known so many workmen now run fit. They stand around with their cigarettes on all the time, sort of staring into the distance. Perhaps they've switched off mentally, I don't know. But they've got six weeks to do the Hogarth roundabout. They'd better get their blooming skates on, because Putney's a nightmare as well. This is down here in London. Uh, you've probably got roadworks where you are. I think the councils do it just to really annoy us. And you know, it kind of works. It always annoys me. It really annoys me. And the Hogarth roundabout yesterday was bad, and it'll be terrible today. It's Monday. All the traffic coming in from West London, coming in off the M4, coming in on the A316. It's going to be a nightmare. If you sit in it, more fool you, OK? Can't do any more than tell people. Simple as that. And then yesterday, I got myself really wound up by watching this Gemporia channel. Have you seen this? The, the jewellery channel, where they've... I don't know where they get these girls from. Failed lap dancers, I thought they were. You've never seen such lame presenting in your life and the garbage they cut oh this is ri- if you're if you're a collector she goes if you're a collector and the item comes up at 16.99 if you're a collector that's like saying i've just bought a bottle of wine for 3.99 in tesco's do you think it'll keep for 10 years do you think it'll be worth more money no it'll be vinegar in about a year you know the sort of people who are buying from gemporia quite clearly aren't people who are interested in buying proper gems they're interested in buying crap it's like the Gerald Ratner stuff. It all looks bright and shiny. And they go, and here's this. And then they put up some fake price. They've given up putting up, you know, this is a, just a made-up price. They just sort of say, £329. And then they'll go, we're going to... This is going to be under 20. And I'm thinking, my God, it really is that bad. It really is that bad. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Everything looks better on the telly, doesn't it? Even presenters look better. Selena Scott probably looked better on the television. Now she wants to be a Tory MP, because apparently she's always been interested in being an MP. 
I always found her a bit snooty, I'm afraid. I don't know why. There was something about Selena Scott. She would just sit there at sort of breakfast time in the morning with Frank Boff, and she sort of, she really rated herself. And I suppose for a certain extent of time she was okay. It was always said she could twist men around her finger. In fact, that toe-curlingly embarrassing interview with Prince Andrew she did was one of the worst pieces of television. It was when she was sitting in for Terry Wogan and she sat there with her little girly voice and sort of doing this sort of, oh, I can't believe I'm so pretty. And she did it in front of Prince Andrew and he played up to it. It was, it was seriously vomit-inducing. It really It was just awful. I felt sorry for her that she had to go down that route. And then, and then she sort of disappeared off. And then she came back and then she was going to do something and then they dropped her and then she took somebody to court because it was over an ageist thing. And, and then she, make, she makes socks out of goat wool. That's what she does now. She, she has goats and she makes socks or something. I told you the story. I bumped into her in the lift at ITN once and, um, and I was doing Channel 5 and she was... I, I don't think she really knew that there were other people around in the world. I just got the impression she was a bit supercilious. And so I said to her, I said, oh, we've got something in common. She looked at me, she went, what would that be? I thought, God, I wish I'd never said anything. I said, we have the same agent. She said, which one is that? So I told her, she said, I'm not with her anymore. And that was the end of our conversation. I sort of just sat in the corner thinking, I wish I'd never said anything. She's so snooty. So she'll do very well as a Conservative MP, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Will she go there? Will she do it? She's in talks, apparently. They all do it. They, they sort of get to that crossroads, don't they? People get to a crossroads in their career. It's like Esther McVeigh, TV presenter. Oh, I think I'll be an MP now. And then, according to some of the papers, she had a bit of a strop the other day, and so they're pussyfooting around. They're trying to make her into something. This is David Cameron's idea, you remember, of putting women uh, into the, the front line of politics so that, apparently, all you ladies out there will vote because there's women in the Cabinet. Well, he managed to vote up until now. They really patronise you, don't they, ladies? I'm terribly sorry. You know, it's like saying, should we put some really good-looking young men in there for you girls? You girlies like that? Would you like that? You know, and the answer is, no, we're going to vote for the person we believe. You've voted for a bunch of the ugliest people I've ever seen. You know, you've never seen so many ugly MPs. Look at them, fat, bloated, you know, womanising, and uh, now a paedophile ring at Westminster. So you're quite clearly not the best judge of character. So now we've got girlies in there. I mean, girlies. I mean, Esther is girly. I mean, she really is girly-girly. Out of all the people, you know, you'd never go, she's a really tough woman. I'd just go, she likes sitting in front of the mirror doing her makeup. Pretty me, pretty me, lipstick, and do my hair beautiful. That's what she used to do when I worked with her. She was the one who spent more time in makeup than anybody else on the, on the entire programme. <laughs> Which is great. You know, I don't have a problem with that at all. Believe you me, I really don't. But I'm just telling you what was, what was fact. And James Garner died as well. A true maverick of Hollywood. Which, uh, you know, a friend of mine used to copy his answer to him because, remember, on the Rockford Files, he would uh, say, hi, this is Jim, I'm not in, leave a message after the tone and I'll get back to you. And a friend of mine copied that and, and did that uh, quite well. I love the picture in the paper of the, uh, the Cybermen coming out of St Paul's Cathedral. They were doing a Doctor Who episode, so you've got about ten Cybermen. What a sight for the tourists, eh? We're doing a bit of filming. And what's coming? Cyber, because nobody in, t- in tourist land would know who Cybermen are. They probably think it still has some new Jesuit priest or something walking down. I mean, you really wouldn't know, would you? You'd have no idea. If you didn't see Doctor Who in other countries, you'd be sort of looking at it and think, what in goodness name is that? 86 was James Garner. 86. Everything from Space Cowboys, Maverick, uh, Rockford Files, of course, The Great Escape, Grand Prix, uh, Sayonara, Murphy's Romance. A seriously big star who wasn't serious. Never interviewed him. Never actually got the opportunity. I don't know how many times he came over to this country. But uh, his, his love life was incredibly stable. His marriage to Lois Clark endured for 58 years. 
until his death. He said, I spent $77 on a honeymoon and it about broke me. And then he adopted Lois's daughter from a previous relationship. What a nice man. What a shame. What a shame. But then, you know, he had a blooming good innings. He had a good innings. And if you only do one programme in Hollywood that marks you down around the world, well, that's, that's the benchmark for everybody else. You know, you see people now. That's why I get so annoyed with so-called celebrities nowadays. They don't do anything. That's why we laughed yesterday, didn't we? Sam Fahir's, I'm going to have talks with Hollywood agents about launching my career in America. Oh, sod off, please. It's just so pitifully awful and so delusional. You know, they can't even break Joey Essex in Basildon, although you wish they would. And, you know, there he is with his little programme, educating Joey Essex. Sadly, in one ear, wanders around the cloud-filled interior and disappears out the other side, like a little genie. A little puff of smoke and he vanishes. And so Sam Fizz, I'm going to be having talks in America, I'm hoping, because, I, because my, my, my fans demand it. Another delusional old baggage who believes the rubbish that is written by the delusional people who laughingly call themselves fans. You know, well, I'm a big fan of Sam Fitt. It's like, you know, it's like Katie Price. She's on the front page of um, of The Sun because they bought the story. I believe they paid quite a bit for it. And uh, so here, here, here it is in a nutshell. Plain, ugly, boring woman, has modelling career, uh, can't find anybody, goes on reality show, meets well-known has-been Greek boy whose career was going nowhere, get married... I think that's about three down the line, and they have children, stay together. She then slags him off, and then she proceeds to embark on uh, on a catalogue of different men uh, who either get... I think, luckily, Leandro Penna didn't get her pregnant. I mean, I suppose for that we should be eternally grateful. Uh, and it's really because she's just a nasty piece of work. And so this is the story of how she gets married to Kieran Haler, Kieran the Intelligent One. That's the, that's the one who does plastering but stripping part-time. And he appears to be doing neither of those things at the moment. In fact, I think at this precise moment, he's tethered to a doghouse in her grounds. And that's where she likes to keep him. <laughs> whip, crack away, whip, you'll do what I tell you. Because I'm in charge in this relationship. And he obviously thought, you are one vile person. So he embarks on a relationship with her best friend, Jane. Ha, 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 how we laughed. And uh, apparently it wasn't just one night stand, seven months of it. And so uh, after Katie Price... Over the sorry, over the shock of it all happening to her because she slags everybody off. Every single route, every single relationship, exactly the same. She's pitifully, pitifully pathetic. And so this one, so now she's realised. Wait, wait a minute. I can sell the story of how hurt I... I'll sell it. I'll sell the story and I'll tell people how hurt I am. Nobody gives a stuff about you, baggage. Nobody cares. So he cheated on you. I think you find the problem lies at your doorstep. They had sex in my bed as I lay alone in hospital. I know, and they really were enjoying it. Apparently it was fantastic sex, Katie. He said she was the best sex he'd ever had his entire life. And the funny thing is, she hates Jane and this apparently other woman who's had sex with him as well. Although we all know of quite a number of other people that Kieran's had sex with, which is hilarious. But there again, she's hardly the born-again virgin. And um, and so they, they sort of have, have the, these relationships and all the rest of it. And then... So she hasn't. She just said, oh, you know, I've told him off and this kind of thing. And she hired a detective and she had a lie detector test done. You really... Have, have you not... Look in the mirror. Kate, look, please look in the mirror. I know it's not an attractive look, but look in the mirror and realise that what you're looking at is emptiness. What you're looking at is the only person you're in love with is yourself. The rest of it is just... It's just flotsam and jetsam, dear. It's just pretend, OK? There is no love out there for you. The only love is within yourself. And to sell your dreary little story like people in this country give a toss about whether he's cheated, whether he hasn't, who cares? 
Nobody cares, dear, apart from you. And that's why you need to, you need to grow up a little bit. Grow up, because uh, he'll do it again. He'll guaranteed he'll do it. They all do. But, of course, you're too dumb to see that, aren't you? But anyway, we've got another, another two days of it. I mean, what else you can say? I can't imagine. Unless they're going to show you pictures of it. Because apparently it happened in the bed. I'm assuming you've got cameras all over the place. And it happened in the stables. God, God knows what the horses were thinking. God knows! Look, there's Kieran, and he's with somebody, and it's not Mummy. What's happening? What's happening? So she's, uh, so she's droned on about this boring affair that he had for seven... Who cares? I wish the son had bought his story. Far more entertaining than the dreary, nasally-toned Katie Price, who can't keep a man for love nor money. Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. 19 minutes past four. Standing in for uh, Nick Ferrari this morning for breakfast is Andrew Pierce. And as the tensions increase in the Ukraine, ask, uh, Andrew will be asking, can anybody stop Putin? Whether British diplomatic pressure will achieve anything? Well, he said he will now cooperate. I think he's... Perhaps he's taken some advice from a lot of people and they've said, listen... Don't screw this one up. Don't screw this one up. Boris Johnson will give us an update on the Olympic legacy. Two years after London 2012, does not seem possible. And 20 years after Tony Blair was elected leader of the Labour Party, Nicola asked if Labour will ever get back into power again. Looking at the papers today, Dame Tessa Jowell, Labour MP for Dulwich and West Norwood, will be live with him in the studio. The other story that's running at the paper today, and it goes along with the, uh, the flight MH17, and it's of a Sky News reporter who was out there who rifled through a case. And uh, this, they, they apologised afterwards. It's a reporter called Colin Brazier. He was shown picking items, including a set of keys and a toothbrush, out of the open luggage before saying, we really shouldn't be doing this, I suppose. And the answer is, no, we shouldn't. But, and I'm not defending him in any way, shape or form, he's a reporter out there. And that's unfortunately what sometimes people have to do. And he's quite right. You know, we shouldn't really be doing it, but I'm here to report on a tragedy. Does this identify a person? When, you know, it wasn't rifling through it, taking anything. He was just doing what reporters do. I mean, it did show a slight bit of insensitivity at the crash site, which has been targeted by looters. And what had happened here, this, uh, this case had obviously belonged to somebody on the flight and people had looted it. I mean, to be honest with you, it's not, all he's doing is reporting on it. He's the one who's saying this This is what people have actually done. I mean, people were taking cash and uh, jewellery and credit cards and things like that. I mean, it's, it's shameful. I mean, you can only marvel at the sheer stupidity of these people who are so insensitive, but at the same time, they have nothing. They have nothing. And so, if something like this happens, their argument would probably be, well, the person who it belonged to doesn't need it anymore. And so they will steal things. And I think all Colin Brazy was doing was just trying to demonstrate just how awful the situation is over in eastern Ukraine. It would be exactly the same landing in the, in the middle of the eastern Ukraine, a huge container with tons and tons of food and booze. Do you seriously think it's going to be staying there? No, you don't. And that's, that's the sad state that we're in at the moment, isn't it? I mean, people, you know, some have left flowers by the side of the suitcases and were smashed computers. Uh, but uh, there were awful lot of possessions looted by officials because they're, I mean, I can't use the language that I want to on the programme, but these, these people thieve. They thieve, you know, and if something comes down in their neck of the woods, they're going to thieve it. If it's sitting on the ground and it's a Nikon camera or something like that, they're going to take it. What's even worse is the, the rescue workers who are literally, you know, removing bodies from the scene. So six miles up, the plane gets blown out of the sky, that we know, and the bodies are still in body bags. So in other words, they fell six miles 
and, you know, battered and bruised or whatever it was. They were certainly dead before they hit the ground. And, uh, and yet they've still got, I think, 168 bodies have gone missing. And we don't know where... They've obviously taken them to some sort of mortuary. I'm assuming, I can't think of anything else. I mean, it's, it's just dreadful. It's just dreadful. But uh, Colin Brace here, I'm afraid, gets picked on by the papers today for being insensitive. And, uh, and he, he recognised it was inappropriate and he said so on air. So he did, he did hold his hands up. He said, very often you're looking at uh, a charred spines. That's all that's left. It's a macabre, horrible situation, a, a degree of anarchy and lawlessness. I mean, se- several witnesses have reported seeing uh, separatists going through the pockets of the bodies. I mean, it's, you just, you know, I can't even describe. How can I describe something like that? All I have to think is if that was one of my family, I'd be over there and I'd blow their bloody brains out. I would- Seriously, you can't even imagine what it's like, can you, that somebody violates, you know, your, your friend, your mum, your dad, your cousin, your uncle, anything like that. All these families want, though. At the end, of the, they want the bodies to bury. That's all they want. They want the bodies back. And Putin, you know, he's he's been phoned by just about every single world leader, and he's been told, "You better sort this out now." You know, you have the capability of going like that, and it happens. So do it, because if it was members of your family, you'd be expecting people to do the same. So uh, don't let you and Russia down before you become too isolated. Before uh, the, freezing the billions, which they've obviously got in this country, I shouldn't imagine make any difference at all to them. It doesn't doesn't seem to bother them. But at least he's made some effort. Eight four eight five zero Steve at lbc dot co dot uk, and uh, we shall weave everything in. Uh, I tell you, what I was I was watching the other day. I was I was going through it again. It was a but this was um my friend Ray sent me a documentary on. ITV, when ITV first started, and it was hosted by Eamon Andrews, and had all sorts of people on there. There was the Robin Day, uh, talking about the first days of ITV, when up until then there was only the BBC. And all the papers would say, oh, it'll never last. Uh, ITV will never last at all. You know, they should hand it over to the BBC. They make a much better job of it, much better hash of it, I think, nowadays, as the BBC rife with all sorts of claims of uh, what their so-called celebrities were getting up to. And uh, over at ITV, they were just plodding on. They had adverts. People say, dreadful adverts. Can't believe we're running adverts on the television. At least the tyres look good. I think there was an advert for Dunlop tyres. And uh, they were talking about... But the interesting thing was that I was watching this and they bring on Bill Grundy, of course. Bill Grundy was that poor reporter who was only known after all his reporting years for the man who got thrown off the programme because the sex pistols went on there and totally ruined his day. Uh, Bill Grundy was doing an evening programme. I was watching at the time and the sex pistols were very big and they... uh, they decided to put them on the programme with Bill Grundy. Bill Grundy only knew classical music. He didn't know anything else apart from classical music. They said, we've got to interview this group, the Sex Pistols. And, um, and there's going to be some punks there and everything else. So what they do, they then sort of cut to this man. He'd had a, a fairly good lunch. He didn't want to interview the Sex Pistols or some of the girls in the studio. And, of course, being punks, and it does look slightly dated now, uh, they were quite clearly up for a bit of trouble. And so somebody said something on the programme. I can't repeat exactly what it was. And Bill, Bill Grundy went, oh, right, very clever. We've got to say something else. So, of course, they did. And they started swearing. They were, at one point, one of the girls turned to him and said, you're a dirty old man. Aren't? And it's so this, this escalated into, it was compulsive television. You sit there looking at this poor man surrounded in the studio by all these punks. It was very intimidating for him. But they literally annihilated him. And he, he got dropped. 
because he, he lost control of the interview. As opposed to the director going, let's cut and show you a cartoon of Donald Duck or something. They kept with it. And then that was what poor old Bill Grundy was ever famous for. So they had him on there presenting long before this, this issue with the Sex Pistols and uh, some of the punky girls, who really, I, I suppose the newspapers, in theory, should go back and try and find out where they are now and go round and abuse them, because they, the language they were coming up with on the television was just atrocious. Just atrocious. Mind you, they might even be dead, I suppose. I don't know how long punks live. Do they live longer than other people? But the guy they had on there was Chris Chataway. Chris Chataway, I think, was part of the uh, the four-minute mile with Roger Bannister, and he was, uh, he was a big wig as well, and he ended up becoming LBC's managing director. And I can always remember... It's so funny, when you see people on the television, you think, I used to see you on a daily basis. Daily basis. But it was a great documentary on ITV, and they had all sorts of people on there who were part of ITV in the early days. Now, you've got so many television channels, you can... I mean, you're spoiled for choice. I don't have satellite... I don't have Sky at all. So I've got none of those channels. I've got more than enough to cope with. With the five channels, all the Freeview channels and all the DVDs I've got. I I seriously cannot cope with any more television. (laughs) I've got enough television. And then somebody say, oh, so-and-so's got a programme. I go, really? I think I'll have to live without that one. (laughs) Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, read the paedophile scandal and the BBC cover-up. Did you see the start about Jill Dando part in trying to expose high-profile people, stars and DJs? I think it's a load of old cobblers. I think it's a load of old cobblers. She's dead now and uh, there's no proof in this whatsoever. No proof. And uh, if you believe everything you read in the Daily Star, you know, then uh, you only have yourself to blame. They've got no evidence. The person who claims that she wrote this dossier on who she thought was involved in a sex scandal at the BBC, on who she thought. She had no idea, no evidence or anything at all like that. And so she apparently wrote this document. There's no evidence to suggest it ever existed uh, or that Jill Dando was involved in anything like that. She was a bog-standard presenter on the BBC. Very nice, very personable. But that's that's what she did. But she certainly didn't know anything about the paedophilia that was going on at the BBC. And as I say, there's no evidence to suggest that any document ever existed in the first place. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, so, Selena Scott, front of the uh, the Daily Star. And uh, did a model drive the gol- golfer Rory to victory? And she's apparently an Irish lingerie model. For that, read Glamour. And for Glamour, read generally not. Generally not glamorous, but uh, willing to get your kit off for just about anybody. Uh, especially if they've got a camera in their hand. The Daily Express today... Birthday boy George is a fashion king. So, do you know, I'm now, I'm now getting to the stage. I shouldn't be. I, I feel a bit guilty saying this. I'm a bit bored with William and Kate now. I'm, I shouldn't be saying that because I'm sort of, No, I am. I'm sorry. I hold my hands up. I'm just bored with them. I don't care. You know, so, I mean, obviously the royal family are trying to push them out there so that people go, oh, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they wonderful? But frankly, if I see him, if I see him turning up to another freebie... You know, the wife going, much though, I, th- I think they're lovely. I think they're absolutely wonderful, but I'm now bored with them, OK? And I don't care about their baby. I don't care if he's wearing petit bateau clothes or anything. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less where his sandals come from or anything else. And the fact they've combed his hair carefully, I really don't care. I really don't care. I think perhaps seeing less, and also Prince Harry. I'm very bored with Prince Harry now. Grieves me to say that because I'm, I'm really, I'm such a royalist. I'm a big fan of the royal family. Love the Queen. Adore Prince Philip. I think he's the funniest man ever. We don't like Princess Anne. I've never liked Princess Anne. And I don't like Prince Andrew. Not that keen on Prince Edward. Now I've gone off William and Kate. God, there'll be nobody left very shortly. It's ridiculous. It's just been me in the world. Quick time check for you. It's 4.30. Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to 5, Monday morning. Uh, Ian Reckon, Selena Scott is a 1990s version of Susanna Reid. <laughs> 
He says, uh, not a great presenter and not well liked. Oh, I thought she was fine. I just thought she, she played... She played the pretty flirty card, and she did it all the time. You know, she sort of sultry looks and all that. As I say, the Prince Andrew interview was just about the culmination of just how naff things could really get on television. And I remember it vividly because, again, I was watching. There's certain things you remember from television, isn't there? I remember Selena's got covering because she sort of sat there. I mean, she practically sort of stood up and undressed in front of him. It was that toe-curlingly embarrassing. It was just awful. It was sort of flirty, flirty. He was flirting with her and she was flirting with him. And then there was another bit I remember, I think Terry Wogan. Obviously, they had this thing on the on the Wogan show when he was at the height of his fame on the BBC. And uh, I always remember two things. First of all, he owned the car company that collected all the guests. He had an interest in the car company, in the taxi firm, which I thought was hilarious. And then, obviously, they had something where he used to lean forward and touch the artist's knee, whoever it was. He'd be saying, the old Wogan touch, you know, the old Wogan. And he touched the old knee and things like that. And then, so, obviously, every PA and PR used to say to the American guests... Uh, he, he's, he's going to touch your knee, OK? And, that's, and so they all started playing up to it. By the time we'd done it, about six people. The old Wogan. Ha-ha. <laughs> you to touch your knee. And, uh, and, that, and in the end, I'm thinking, do you know, Operation Utri, where's the phone? Where's the phone when you need it? Stop touching people. But the favourite one was he had a designer on, and it might have been Zandra Rhodes. It might have been. I can't remember. And Zandra Rhodes, who used to dress like she was an overstuffed cushion, turned up on the programme to present an item on, on fashion. So she brought these models out. And as each model came out, what, they, what they'd done, if memory serves me correct, looked like they'd wrapped sheets around them. And they just looked a bit slightly odd. It was the sort of clothes you look at that and you think, do you know, are all fashion designers barking mad? And the answer is yes. You know, they're all slightly odd. And so every time she brought a model out, the audience collapsed in laughter. Okay. Sorry? Vivian Westwood, that's the one. She's mad as a broomstick. And so every time somebody came out, the audience were going... <laughs> and Wogan was trying to suppress laughter. That's the old... Oh, God, what are they wearing? And all this kind of stuff. And in the end, Vivian Westwood said, uh, well, I'm not going to bring any more models out if they're just going to laugh. So the trouble is, she moves in circles where people... Oh, that's absolutely fabulous, darling. That is so marvellous, really. Whereas the Wogan audience were very down-to-earth and were going, this is rubbish. This is absolute out-and-out rubbish. And they, and they, they just told her. And I thought that was so funny, because I think people who move in fashion circles, they're blinkered. They seriously... I've watched programmes on, you know, on making a fashion and the fashion shows. Apart from the fact the majority of fashion models walk very strangely. Have you seen them? The way they, have you seen Naomi Campbell? You know, I don't want to be rude about her, but, I mean, it does look as though she's got sort of a severe case of, well, she needs to take something. Because they sort of... They can't... They don't just walk in a straight line. They sort of sashay and then swing their hips and do all that. I mean, I can't do it. I'm way too old, as I? And if I throw my bottom backwards, the chance that it's going to hit the wall, you know, and we're never going to sort of get it back again. But you watch these people doing it, and you think, models are slightly peculiar. I've come to the conclusion they're all one or two screws loose. And there's quite a lot of drugs, I believe, in the fashion industry because the pressure is on for people to be thin. I mean, you don't, you don't see fat models walking up and down the catwalk, do you? Because they don't make clothes for them. They're making clothes for thin people. So there's no point in me going out there and go, have you got any fashionable clothes for me? Have you got anything I could wear? And they look at me and go, no. I mean, they, they don't, you know, Ted, Ted Baker, I'm, I can't even get through the door. The door is about an inch wide. I mean, I just can't get in there. I think it's deliberately made like that. I'm sure the door shrinks as I actually move up to it. The door is smaller, 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 smaller. And so they go, and they stand inside looking pitifully out of the window at me. As I'm on the pavement, go, you must have something I can wear. And they go, I've got nothing for you, fat boy. And I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I even wandered into Ted Baker. But they're like that all the time. In, in all the, the fashion shops, and I have been in a few, I just go in there now and rearrange jumpers just to annoy them. 
I'll just go in there and take something, shake it out, hold it up against me, you know, wrong size, throw it back on the shelf. I do that to a lot of things. I don't try shirts on or anything, because I think that's a bit unhygienic. But ever since I mentioned what uh, gorgeous George was wearing for his uh, for his birthday, and apparently he's walking now. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It really is. He just, he's walking with his arms out, and he's going, help, help me, help me. You wait. In a few years' time, he'll be saying that. He'll get to 50. Help me. Get me out of this family. Get me out. I've met my Uncle Charles. Mad as a fruitcake. Mad as a fruitcake. They're all there. And so ever since, you know, his... Uh, his clothes were sorted out, and it, a lot of it comes from Betty Bateau. Petit Bateau. We have a shop in, in Richmond, and uh, he had a little short-sleeved bodysuit with polo shirt neck in abyss blue. £15.50. I mean, to be honest with you, you could buy a whole roll of material, £15.50, the cotton-striped blue dungarees from Petit Bateau. £27.65. But, of course, this poses no problem, because I should imagine every manufacturer must have been throwing stuff at this family for ages. His shoes, incidentally, in case you're wondering today, ladies and gentlemen, his shoes, early days Alex pre-Walker shoes in navy from Trotters, £27.99. Okay, available in nowhere else but these these places here. And, uh, and his hair by... I don't know, but it's probably fallen off his father's head. And so he's got... He's quite a chubby little thing, so he's obviously eating quite well. And uh, it's, it's, the, it's the picture of him holding his arm. Help, help. I'm in the royal family. I don't want to be in the royal family. I want to go to a normal family in Sheffield. I could have gone to the Tweedies. And, no, he's probably not saying the Tweedies. I don't think he'd want to go to the Tweedies. But uh, and a lot of people say, doesn't he look like Grandpa? In fact, he looks a bit like Prince Charles. God help us. I don't think he does at all, actually. Uh, Prince Charles, there was a picture of him in the paper. I always remember seeing Prince Charles when he turned up at the station and the uh, the Queen and the Queen Mother were coming back from somewhere. And uh, Prince Charles is there in his little sandals. We all had them, little white socks, little sandals. And he looked a little bit, a little bit sort of little Lord Fauntleroy. But then we all did. We all did at that age. It was fun. It was fun. I was watching the Royal Variety performance that Ray sent in, and uh, and it has the Queen turning up. So there's all the audience, all done up, you know, quite nicely for the Royal Variety, which they do. And then the Queen turns up. But when the Queen Mother turns up, for one of them, she turns up with Princess Margaret, who lurched out of the back of the car, you know, gin bottle in one hand. And, um, and, and, the, and the Queen Mother sweeps through in this... This jewel-encrusted dress. I mean, it, was, it must have been quite spectacular. The Queen Mother sat in front of me once at the theatre. You remember that? I told you the story of me and the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, Michael Crawford. I'd phoned up Michael and I'd said, uh, oh, can I come to the theatre tonight? He said, yes, yes, I've got a couple of uh, seats. Michael had about two rows, which they gave him in the theatre. And he, he, would, uh, he would dish them out to his friends. I wasn't actually a friend. I mean, I knew him because he was an LBC listener. And so I said, can I come to the theatre? And he said, yes, yes, come round. To the, and I used to go round to the stage door, go upstairs, meet his uh, dresser, and she would give me the tickets, and i have to go round the front. And I went round this particular evening. I forget who I took. Who did I take? Do you know, for like, isn't it funny? Sometimes it must have been really boring, so I can't remember who the hell it was. Anyway, so I, I go round the, uh, to, to pick up the tickets, and Michael was having his makeup put on at that time because to put the Phantom's uh, face on took forever. Because it was all glued. It was about four or five different pieces which were glued on. So once they went on, they stayed on. You didn't take them off if you were doing a matinee. And so I picked up these things. He said, you're going to need a tie. And I said, oh, right, why? He said, because there's a member of royalties coming. I said, oh, lovely. So I borrowed a tie, go round the front, sit in my seat, and it's the row in front of me. It's the row in front, direct, literally directly in front of me. The row is empty. There's about five seats empty. Who walks in? Queen Mum. 
still in chiffon and blue and smelling of mothballs. And, uh, in, seriously, she said, I've never known anything like it. And she was very tiny. And, of course, once people realised, everybody burst into spontaneous applause and it was fantastic. The only problem is, at the end of Phantom of the Opera, it gets a standing ovation because it's so brilliant. And so everybody stands up, which, of course, left the Queen Mother sitting in the seat. Because she's only tiny, so she wouldn't have seen anything. So she carried on sitting. And then we all had to wait while she left the theatre. It was, she was just on a, on a private visit. Obviously, they just phone up and go, uh, Queen Mother's house here. Uh, she wants to come and see the show, and uh, she'll have a mivy in the interval. You know, they go, OK, great. And so she went there. So it was my only Queen Mother story. Not that exciting, is it? I thought it was fairly exciting. I've never, never sat there. I mean, I did park the car one in London. I was sitting at traffic lights, and I looked to my right, and there was a car there with two blokes in the front, crouched in the back seat, Diana, Princess Diana. Because, obviously, as they're going through London, if she'd sat in the back seat, you'd have seen her, but she was crouched down. And so I remember thinking, oh, it's Diana. I wonder if she's looking at me going, oh, that's Steve Allen. You know, I wonder. Probably not. Probably not. Although I did hear tell that, uh, that she did listen to the programme occasionally. I she had a late night out. I just made that bit up, actually, because you can't prove it, can you? Uh, I can't prove it either, so we're, we're kind of on stalemate. You can say anything you like. After somebody's gone, you can say, oh, they used to listen to me all the time. Diana used to phone up. When I used to do an overnight phone, she used to phone up. She used to go, hi. I go, hi, Tootsie. I used to call her Tootsie, you know, an affectionate thing. We should go out and have Kentucky Fried Chicken. You can say anything. Once they've gone, you can say anything you like, because you can't prove it. I might be telling the truth. I'm not, as it's happened, because I'm an honest person. Uh, talking of, uh, of not telling the truth... When fire broke out at Richard Branson's private Caribbean island, Kate Winslet was wildly hailed a heroine. You remember, she was over there, and it was reported that as Necker Island was engulfed in flames, sparked by a lightning storm, the actress scooped up the elderly mother of the billionaire entrepreneur and carried her to safety. But now, three years later, 90-year-old Richard Branson's mother says it's not true she didn't carry me to safety. In fact... She's, uh, she's, uh, I'm very grateful, you know, but she only carried me down four steps. The real hero, she says, were her grandsons, because Eva has previously said that Kate came behind her and scooped her up because she was impatient to get her own children to safety. And uh, Necker Island, you can hire. It's about, I think now it's probably about 42,000 a day, but you do get a cook. That good? I'd expect to eat the cook for that sort of price. £42,000 a day. And uh, so it doesn't matter, make any difference, because we all like Kate Winslet, don't we? I like Kate Winslet. And so a little bit of economical truth. But that's what the, that's what the mother was saying, because you can't remember. She's 90 now. She might have got it wrong yet again. Who knows? But, uh, but they say now 37000 a night. I think that's low season. And it burnt down, and they just rebuilt it again. Because it must be quite... I've seen pictures. Oh, it looks gorgeous. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. It's a private island. It's it's absolutely, absolutely good. I mean, that's not the sort of thing I could ever, ever afford. Even Nick Ferrari, with all his wealth, I don't even think he could afford to hire Necker Island. You imagine? I saw a house the other day, which I was thinking of buying some years ago. Well, when I say I was thinking of buying it, I'd had a bottle of wine, and I got carried away with the fact that I might have won the lottery, and I didn't, and the house was on sale for £12 million. And I thought, I'll go and have a look at it. So I went online didn't actually physically turn up, even though I probably could have done it in my car, but I didn't. And uh, and then they, they reduced the price to £9 million, and I thought, oh, it's, it's within doing now. I, c- I could save up nine, nine pounds and probably sort of just go and sort of peer through the gate. And it was very nice. And I saw it the other day up for rent. Up for rent. 
And I looked at it and I thought, wow, if you had that, it's a really good investment. Because if you paid nine million for it, how much do you think it was renting? Bearing in mind, this is six bedrooms. It's very nice. It's very unusual. I don't want to describe it just in case I do win the lottery and I'm able to buy it one day. I don't want you all turning up on the doorstep and going, oh, Steve, you're looking inside your house. No, you can't. And how much is it renting for now? 40,000 a month. 40,000 pounds a month, this place. So that's Four and a half million pounds a year, isn't it? No, 480,000 a year. You're at half a million pounds a year you're renting this thing out for. It's phenomenal, is it? Yeah, half a million, yeah, about half a million pound a year. Must be, wait a minute, 12 fours of 48, 480,000, yeah. Just under the half million pound a year. Imagine, what sort of money would you have to be earning? It'd be cheaper to buy the blooming place. It'd be cheaper to buy it, wouldn't it? But, it? but it was good, and I thought, what a good investment had I won the money, but I didn't win the money, so consequently, that's why I'm here this morning, ladies and gentlemen. And very pleased I am to be, very pleased to be anywhere at my age, actually, apart from a cemetery. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Twelve minutes to five. Remember this name, Kieran Williamson. OK, you might have heard him because I've, uh, might have heard of him because I've mentioned him on the programme before. He's 11 years old. What's he famous for? He's a brilliant painter. He is brilliant. From the age of six... He was painting, and his pictures are fantastic. They now think that uh, he's probably worth about £2 million. He's 11. And his latest exhibition sold for £390,000. He's 11 years old. His pictures are quite... You can't believe it's done by an 11-year-old. It's serious. that they, they call him Mini Monet. But if you look at the pictures... I mean, can we get him up on the website? Can we have a quick look at... Uh, can you get up Kieran Williamson on there? Just so we can have a look at some of the stuff he paints. He's quite amazing. Kieran is K-I-E-R-O-N. O-N. Williamson. And uh, there he is. He's... I mean, he's absolutely... Brilliant. Look at some of the pictures. Look at this one here. I mean, sorry. You have... Go on to, uh, to Google. This is the sort of stuff he's doing at the age of 11 years old. I mean, he's, he, these 40 paintings which were on sale sold about 390. He's, he specialises in, well, he's got pictures with snow on. Also, I mean, he's just, I mean, for 11 years old, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I'm only looking at the re- reproductions on the, uh, on the sort of the, uh, the website. They're absolutely brilliant. So they say he's worth about 1.9 million. The money is put in trust for him because quite clearly you're not going to get an 11 year old having 1.9 million. In fact, if we if we put him in on uh, images, we can have a, a quick look at the stuff he does. I mean, he's he's so he's so clever, and I don't know how how people are able to do these things because I can't paint for toffee. I mean, I'm absolute rubbish. I'm, I wish I could paint. I'm very jealous of of anybody who can paint. I mean, some of his road scenes with snow are just absolute for an eleven year old, but for him, he finds it. Absolutely dead easy, and I think to myself, I wish I'd bought some of his stuff years ago when I had loads of money. I mean, if you if you look at them, they're just terribly clear. He obviously sees things that we don't see, and he's able to to transpose it onto the page. And every time I look at any of his uh, pictures, I always think to myself, what a gift at the age of eleven. Do you think he's going to get better, or do, do, is it kind of just peter out? Because some people are very good at doing pictures, and some people, as I say, I'm I'm one of them that can't draw for toffee. The only thing I, I can draw is a tree. And even then, they're not particularly brilliant. But he, he started at a very early age, and uh, he does pictures of his family, he does pictures of all sorts of old people. I mean, he's just terribly clever. So uh, he's now got his own company, Kieran Williamson Limited. Uh, the cash is being invested until he's 18, but he's bought a house where his parents live, uh, with him and the world. So in other words, they've gone, OK, let's have a bit of this money out of here. So they bought a nice house. So he lives with his parents and sisters 
sister Billy Joe in Norfolk. But such a clever guy. I'm, I mean, I remember mentioning him on the programme ages ago, and I remember saying, he's so clever, you need to, need to watch out for that boy's... Uh, of course, I've just realised I've just erased the blasted text messages now. We'll have to go back and uh, get them back up again. Um, carry your bag, ma'am. It's not easy being a gentleman. Apparently, people say the politest of gestures can be misinterpreted as caveman chauvinism. Do people hold doors open for you ladies anymore? Do people... They don't, do they? Do people give up the seat on the bus? I haven't seen that for ages. No, no. So he was like to have this seat. No. I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you why men stopped offering their seats. Because I did it a few times. And you'd say to somebody, would you like my seat? And they'd go, no, thank you. And so you feel a bit guilty then. You sort of sit... You can't really sort of force it. Oh, listen, I've just offered you the seat. Sit down. But I do hold open doors for people. I don't do it all the time, because if I'm sort of ahead, I'm not going to stand there until hell freezes over to sort of hold a door open. But I do try and be polite. Do try and be a, a polite person, you know, out there. Um, do you dress appropriately? You know, as a man, do you make, do you make comments to women? Um, they say here, don't be rude about other countries or your own. Oh, God, what a dull life that would be. You have to be rude about other countries. The French, they all smell of garlic. Okay, you have to say that. The Italians, they all pinch your bottom. You know, that's what it's like. The uh, the Turks, they all make kebabs. You know, there are sweeping generalisations for every country. The English, not a clue about food. Not a clue about food. Although, do you see, Nick Clegg turned up on one of these Saturday Kitchen programmes with Millie McIntosh. Girl, blimey, you could have picked some, some better people than a Z-lister like her, Nick. And Cher Lloyd. You read about Lily Allen, though, in the paper today. Album didn't sell very well at all even though she went on every single programme to promote it and really didn't, uh, really didn't do very well with it. I don't know who she's blaming. I'll find out a bit later on. I didn't buy it, only because I'm, I'd, if somebody goes on too many programmes, it's like, I think at the moment Cheryl Cole's record is out, isn't it? Or is it's either out or coming out. So she's released a new picture and it's uh, Crazy Stupid Love or something. Yeah, producing a... Pfft. Get big thumbs down from Beth as well. Ooh, no, definitely not that one. And to be honest with you, it's so carefully put together, and you know she can't sing for Toffee anyway. So what you're buying is a bit of studio-produced stuff and a very carefully edited video. But, uh, do you think it's going to launch her as a, as a star? No, I don't think so either. Malcolm says, did you see Wogan when he presented Blankety Blank and the guest bent his stick mic in half? I know, I was always doubtful about whether or not that really was a microphone, but it really was a microphone. And I think he made it his own. Not, not microphone, I think he just made the, the use of it. The old Wogan. Hello. And, uh, and, and it's funny because we were saying this the other day. When Wogan was doing Blankety Blank, you looked at all the guests on there and they were all the stars of the day. They had something to say. They had something to contribute. And yet you look at these programmes now and they don't, they don't have anything to contribute. And you so want, you know, you know that when Celebrity Squares comes back with Warwick Davis, which I believe they're filming at the moment, some of the people are going to be from the Only Wears Essex. And they don't have anything, they're not funny or witty or anything at all. I mean, they can't put Gemma Collins on it, because I don't think the structure will actually hold that kind of weight. But they, they sort of have to put other people up. But you know it's going to be really naff, I'm afraid. Because we, we don't have any proper celebrities at the moment. We have just reality show people. So they do pieces in the, in the paper about reality show people. And half the time, you don't know who they are. And if I've got American listeners to this programme, which I have a lot of the time, they don't know who they are either. Which makes it even more embarrassing, because you mention somebody and people go, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. And you go, well, it's, it's so-and-so. I always thought, now, historians amongst you might know the answer to this one, I always thought that the Magna Carta was signed at Runnymede, which is in between Egham and Windsor. 
And you pull off the road, and then you walk a little way, and there's a little structure, and that's where the Magna Carta was signed. Well, now up for sale in the paper today is the historic island on which the signing of the Magna Carta is celebrated, up for sale for just under four million. This is said to be the site where King John met with his rebellious barons for the most important meetings in history. Well, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. The amount of people who turned up for the signing of Magna Carta, they wouldn't, how would they get them onto this island? But uh, they say here the current owner of the house, which is reached by Humpback Bridge, has now put it on the market with Sotheby's for £3.95 million. And they say it's uh, a piece of uh, lifetime opportunity to buy a piece of the world history where the rule of law was first forged. Well, then it makes a mockery of Runnymede. What were they doing at Runnymede? Because this isn't at Runnymede. Uh, it's got four reception rooms and a swimming pool, and the price includes a separate uh, cottage. But I just don't know whether I believe it. Because I've always taken people to Runnymede and said, this is where they signed the Magna Carta, because it's a huge big field, and there would have been lots and lots of people there. This, this is the only private island on the Thames, which is nice. It's uh, 402 metres of prime river frontage. And they say it was the uh, home of the signing. Well, I don't believe it. I think they've just made it up because it's called Magna Carta Island. <laughs> I think I think it was signed at Runnymede. That's what I've always told people. Uh, the television producers behind the controversial Benefit Street are set to provoke more reaction by putting immigrants under the spotlight in the new series. Uh, so they're doing... This is in um, Southampton, Derby Road. It's called Immigration Street. And it's going to be as boring and dull as Benefit Street. I'm happy to say that at least you can open up the papers over the past week and we haven't had to be... I haven't had to suffer with White D or any of her ilk. Thank you very much indeed. But uh, we found another benefits crook. Here she is, Susan Malpass. Uh, poor old S- Susan Malpass was paid disability living allowance for six years after declaring that she was unable to walk far and had poor mobility. But in fact, she was showing dogs off in an arena and running round behind them. She's a lying old bag, isn't she? So here she is, and she was at uh, Warwickshire the other day, travelled, uh, sorry, challenged by investigators. She admitted falsely claiming the disability allowance. She's going to be sentenced next month. And uh, so, that, I mean, it's just absolutely appalling. You know, she's quite clearly some thieving old bag who's spending the money. There's loads of them. There's loads of them. I reported somebody once for working as a minicab driver. You know, the days when people went out there and just took their own car out, just pulled up by the side of the road and went, you want a minicab? And in London, people do that all the time. And uh, she obtained payment. You see, I think between 2007 and 2013, she got 16,000 quid. And the benefits people say, we are cracking down. I want it all back. I want it. I'm sick to death of these people who go out there and thieve from you and I. And unfortunately, Susan Malpass is a common thief. And uh, here she is running with one of her colleagues. So she's not, not disabled at all. You know, it's a bit, bit of fraud, isn't it, really? Um, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, actor Peter O'Toole is in the papers. He was in some of the papers yesterday, and I didn't mention the story because I hadn't actually read very much about it, but he left nothing to his youngest daughter in his will after being estranged from her for years. Probate records show that the father of three, who died last December at the age of 81, left an estate worth £4 million before tax, biggest share going to his oldest daughter, Kate. The, uh, the bulk of the rest was shared by his actor son, Lorcan, and his teenage granddaughter, Jessica. But he stated that he was making no provision in his will for his daughter, Patricia, after being estranged from her for some years. Their estrangement at the time he wrote his will in January last year has never previously been revealed. 
Uh, it's not known if the pair were reconciled in the months before his death when he was battling a long Ill- illness. Actress Kate, 53, and Patricia, 50, were from the marriage to the Welsh, Welsh actress Sean Phillips. Lorcan was from his relationship with an American model. It's interesting, isn't it, when, when sort of people leave a lot of money and they don't leave it to certain people. I think the, the Joan Crawford will was classic in the book Mummy Dearest. It opens up with, you know, and to my children I leave nothing for reasons of which they are well aware. And nobody was quite sure whether or not Joan Crawford was just the world's tightest and worst actress or whether or not she had some grudge to bear. Plenty more to come on your early morning breakfast show. On LBC with Steve Allen, here till 6.30. Workers in the public sector have become more productive since the government began wielding the axe on the sector. On the eve of the Commonwealth Games, Glasgow, sometimes knife capital of Britain, has been transformed. They've spruced it up, and so they should. Royal Mail, facing a stormy shareholder protest this week. The company holds its first annual meeting since privatisation. Asking prices for houses in Britain have fallen for the first time this year. Apparently, the distraction of the World Cup cooled the rampant housing market. All of that to your texts and emails, 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk Yes, it is Monday morning, you've got to go to work. LBC, Steve Allen, all of that and next. Steve. Morning everybody, it's Monday morning. It's going to be another, just when you thought we the uh, you've seen the end of the bad weather, lightning apparently is coming back in again. Uh, so, we've had a response from Putin at last. It looks like things could gather momentum and we might manage to sort out this dreadful mess over this down flight in the pictures of the paper today, the children who lost their lives uh, from the ages of eight, five-year-old, three-year-olds and pictures of them. Very tragic and very poignant, the lost children of flight MH17. More difficult to pass your driving test in London. Not surprised, I suppose that's why people don't bother. Uh, the British golfers open victory and those hundreds of secret police files which have gone missing. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. And I'm here until 6.30 this morning. And a very happy 50th birthday to Robert Craig Morgan. He used to play Justin Bennett. Remembering Grain Chill for the first five series all those years ago. Says Paul. He says, I went to stay with Robert and uh, Donica for Christmas 2012 into the new year 2013 and had the best time ever. Can't wait to see them both again. I'm sure that he will tell you he's a fully-fledged member of the Steve Allen Forever 39 Club, because nobody ages on this programme. I feel we're in a slight a slight time warp, which is good. And we'll deny his real age, but then that's showbiz, I guess. So uh, lots of love to him. Hope he has a lovely day, and I'm sure that uh, Donica will spoil him rotten as usual. So there you go. So a very happy birthday, Robert. And uh, I'm sure you will have a lovely, lovely... If you're up at this time of the morning, it'll be a miracle. It'll be a miracle. Although Diana in Richmond can't sleep. She said it's the heat, so she's having a nice cup of tea in bed. Uh, this is the best time to see the day. This is the best time to open the door and look out. I promise you, this is the best... Well, I mean, not here, because we're up quite high up. Open the door here and look out. You fall out about 40 feet to the street. Not worth it. But uh, it, is, it is the best time. London looks at its best, and your garden probably looks lovely, and there's a bit of a dew, and the, all the, um, the spiders are out there making their webs. And we're going to bake again. So I should be out there this morning, watering the baskets, and then, uh, then hope that they survive. It's amazing how they dry out in this weather. You've got to be very, very, very careful. Very careful. And if you've got hanging baskets, then get out there and water them. And I will remind you yet again, and I don't want to sound boring on this, but if you come in from West London, avoid, avoid, avoid the Hogarth Roundabout. You will sit there. It took me on Saturday. I came into town 30 minutes to get through it. 30 minutes to get through it. And that's on a Saturday. You wait to see what the traffic's going to be like this morning. Don't go anywhere near it. My advice is come in either on the Great West Road, it involves a little detour, or leave a lot earlier. Allow extra time. 
I'm sure that Andy will be telling you exactly the same later on and will be saying to you, avoid the area or come in via Brentford and go round the back of Chiswick. It's going to be an awful lot easier. You don't want to go anywhere near the Hogarth flyover because it's closed for six weeks and uh, you've got traffic lights to negotiate and you'll just sit there and sit there and sit there. So I only offer that as advice. Got any friends who use that route every morning? Tell them. You heard it first on LBC. Uh, We went Monday, says Alan, to Strawberry Hill House. Yes, yes, uh, Lynn and I went there. When did we go there, actually? We went... um, We went just after it opened, actually. It's brilliant. Uh, The restoration's still in progress... And uh, uh, although little furniture present, it was all sold off. Great place to go to. Nice cafe. Yeah, I was... Do you know, I've, I've got to that stage now. I'm at that age where if I go out to uh, a historic monument like uh, Strawberry, which was Walpole's uh, place, then I like to have a cup of tea. And I like to sit down and have a piece of cake. Although yesterday we were in town and we went to Covent Garden. We went to the Transport Museum. I tweeted a picture of me in the Transport Museum. I got it wrong, actually, because that was a bus conductor's uniform we were looking at, not the bus driver's uniform. Slightly different. Uh, and uh, it was lovely, but it was chock-a-block with tourists. I've never seen... T- and aren't they good-looking? Have you noticed how good-looking tourists are? You could spot the Brits. We're the ones who look miserable and suffering in the heat. The tourists are the ones bouncing around with no sunglasses on, because they're obviously used to that kind of thing. And the Italians are the best-looking out of anybody. They really are. I've never seen so many good-looking Italians. Sickening, isn't it? I don't speak a word of Italian, so I couldn't even have conversation with people. Not that I want to talk to tourists. So we go round the Transport Museum, which was lovely, and, uh, and then got a cup of coffee, which was lovely. Because I like sitting down. And the other place, we're definitely going to go at some point this week to the Imperial War Museum. Now it's all been done up, and uh, they've, uh, they've had their, their new galleries opened, and they've got a good, a good cafeteria stroke restaurant there. They're really good, these places now. They're really good, and it's such a great museum. So I'm a big fan of my museums in London, so we're going to do that one. I didn't think we could do it the weekend because the kids are on holiday, aren't they? And it means that everywhere is going to be absolutely chock-a-block. So uh, so not, not, not the best thing to do. Not the best thing. Uh, young James is sitting on, a, sitting on a bus at the moment. Juggling, apparently. I'm quite interested in the fact that he's, he's juggling. I like that. But, uh, yes, uh, Marble Hill, Strawberry Hill House, very nice indeed. Well worth going to. Nice, easy little car park to get into. And you should be uh, you should be looked after very very well. You may not paint or sculpt, says John, but you are indeed a veritable maestro when you have a burst on your banjo. Yes, yes I can't paint. Or, I wish I could paint. I'd be so happy if I could. I look at people. I think I can't do anything like that. I can't even play a musical instrument. Well, I mean, apart from the banjo, and I do a mean recorder, but that's about it. Diana is in bed with this cup of tea. She's uh, she's still on the settee. She's zonked out. I've got fans all over the place. Fans all over the place. Uh, Linda says, uh, I have opening doors and after you in bus queues and offering to help me carry bags. I think it's lovely. I always say thank you. Manners cost nothing. Exactly. Manners cost nothing. Please and a thank you would go a long way. When we went to Starbucks just in Covent Garden, what did the woman call us? Babe. Babe. I, I seriously, I, I looked at it and I thought, are you, is this some joke or something? Have they, have they, was it Babe? It was something, yes, I'm sure it was Babe. And then the girl on the till said Babe. As well. I thought... Am I in the right place here? Is this Starbucks? And we're going to get this over-familiarity with Babe. I was, I was quite shocked. I sort of, I said to a friend, I, was, I said, did you just hear that? And he said, yeah. I said, Babe? I've never heard that before. You know, and then I thought, I mean, the last thing I am is Babe, I'm afraid. I'm definitely not, uh, definitely not Babe. Why does the BBC waste money? Full stop, I think that is the question this morning. Why do they waste money? How many weather forecasters? One forecast last week... 
12 different faces across the country. 12 different... To tell you something that 9 out of 10 times is wrong. Oh, today's going to be lovely and sunny. <laughs> yeah, right. And so in the east, you've got uh, Alex Dolan. In the south, Alexis Green. Rachel Mackley in the southeast. Nick Miller doing the job in London. Uh, Kirsty MacDonald doing the Scottish one. Why can't they just have one person in a studio and they go and this is it and you now cut to them? You don't need individuals. Who cares? I don't know why we spend so much time faffing around with the weather. I'm, I spend an enormous amount of time on this programme, an extraordinary amount of time, talking about the weather. Well, I could understand it if I was about to say, listen, there's about to be a huge wall of water that's going to hit London. That, I, I mean, we'd be safe here, of course. Everybody else would be floating away, but we'd be fine here. But we, we spend an extraordinary amount of time on telling you the weather. And all you've got to do is look outside. And people say, oh, I can't do that. You get, why not? Well, because it might change later. It might, um, it, it might rain. Well, then you get wet. Stand in a doorway like people used to do. It's such wusses nowadays, aren't we? Oh, it's going to rain. Oh, we're going to get wet. It's awful. Mind you, they did the other day, Caroline, uh, the, the heavens opened, I think, for her and Clive. They were coming in to, uh, to sort of uh, work on the, on the breakfast show, which is uh, Andrew Pierce this morning, because uh, Nick Ferrari's on holiday, and they got drenched. Normally, Clive sits in his car for a little bit, has a little bit of a doze, and then he, then he walks in. And as he went, he heard little pitter-patter on the roof of the car, and he thought, I'd better get in. Because the time he got to the front door, he was absolutely drenched. <laughs> I try not to laugh. Another uh, one here. Uh, babe is better than fat, bald bloke, isn't it? No, it's not. I don't want anything. Sir or madam would be quite... Well, not madam, obviously, but, I mean, sir would be quite nice. <laughs> uh, Daryl says, was out with my puppy who requested to go out for a wee at 4.15. They don't request to go out for a wee. They, dogs will only go for a wee when you take them out. They react outside. So, in fact, you could leave the dog in all day. Admittedly, puppies are not so great. We've got these mats that my godchildren put down for them, which is, which is very good. And uh, there's thunder now. Having tea in bed. A bit tired of being the Brockwell Park County Fair. Which is great. Runnymede is simply a site that overlooked the island on which the Magna Carta was signed. Yeah, well, I don't believe. What's the point of having it? They've got a they've got a monument there. Oh, Runnymede. This is where the Magna Carta was signed. So now you're telling me it's an island as well. <laughs> don't believe it. Don't believe it. Get King John up. Go on, get him on the phone. We'll find out. We went to Northfield Market Saturday. Where's it all gone? Says John. Not been there for overage. Only half the size it used to be. Used to have a sign saying it was the biggest market in England at one time. No, it's sort of, it's fallen off a little bit, Northfield, hasn't it? Get some very chavvy people. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but by God, there's some chavvy people who go down to Northfield Market. I've never, I mean, the only time I've ever seen people like that was on the Jeremy Kyle show. I've never actually seen them in real life, but they really do exist. Women with, with tattoos on, the, on their face and think, seriously, big hoop earrings and dogs on leashes that you've never seen before and, uh, and ugly children and people carrying puppies. And, th- and it's just, oh, but it's the tattoo brigade. I've never seen so many tattoos on women in one place. And this is not just young women. This is old women as well. It's real. I mean, Jeremy Kyle could literally have a holding pen down there. It could be brilliant. You could just corral them all in and then just pick out the ones you wanted. They must have stories. Everybody's got stories nowadays, haven't they? I mean, I, I, I tend to find just watching the uh, the, the programme gives me inspiration never to move into those kind of areas. 84850, uh What was I looking at a picture of here? I was, I was looking at a, a picture and a story, actually, about... Now, why did I, why did I catch it? I, I, for some reason, I, I, I wanted to save a piece of 
paper here, and I've, I've obviously saved the wrong story. I found um, a £4 million fraud, a Nigerian accountant's £4 million fraud, and uh, he was at the chain of uh, academies championed by Michael Gove, whereas it turned out that £4 million of school funds ended up in his personal account. How is that possible? Nigerian-born Samuel Kayodi is said to have spent much of the cash on an extravagant lifestyle and buying a string of properties. He's a part-time pastor, aren't we all? Told by the High Court to pay £4.1 million back to the Haberdashers' Ask chain of academies more than a year ago, he's failed to do so. They reckon the cash has been transferred to Nigeria. The case, kept secret for almost two years, is believed to be Britain's biggest ever education fraud. It's unbelievable. Haberdashers Asks uh, Federation Trust in South London, they don't, they don't like to talk about it. They don't like to mention anything about the fact that all this money's gone missing. Yet this man's been ordered to pay it back. The chief executive of the Haberdashers Ask Federation Trust said, the civil case was found in favour of the Federation. We're trying to recover the money that's been taken from us. We're obviously shocked and saddened. But furious parents say Haberdashers Ask has tried to hush the scandal up. Well, I've never heard of it. I'd, have you ever heard of it, ladies and gentlemen? I've never heard of it at all. I mean, this fraud, Jill Rutter, who has several children at the Hatcham Academy, said in an online blog, the fraud strikes at the heart of the educational system. Well, just get this old fraud back. I mean, surely some bank transferred it for him. Well, you go back to the bank and you get them to transfer it back again. Simple as that. It's ridiculous. And uh, uh, Kayode's boss at Haberdasher Ask says, Sam Kayode completely had me taken like everybody else. Nobody from the police or the school has spoken to me. So, uh, you know, he's thieved the money. It's amazing how easy it is to thieve money now. And they hush it up. I know of an organisation that was robbed twice. Can't tell you what the organisation is, but twice they were robbed and uh, they never did anything about it because they were too embarrassed to admit that somebody had, had taken money from them. I just, uh, worst case of thieving, you know, you have to get this man back. I and mean, quite clearly a court just saying pay it back is having no effect whatsoever. So you have to try, uh, have to try something else. Quick time check for you. Quarter past five... <laughs> And uh, in for Nick Ferrari this morning, in all this week, Andrew Pearce will be here at seven o'clock. And today, as the tension increases in the Ukraine, Andrew will be asking if anybody can stop Vladimir Putin. Uh, since uh, we were talking about this, things have changed. Putin has come out and said he will cooperate, uh, hopefully completely. Uh, also, whether or not this diplomatic pressure will achieve anything, apart from the freezing of the of the billions of pounds over here. I don't think that's going to make too much difference. Plus, Boris Johnson will give us an update on the Olympic legacy two years after London 2012. And 20 years after Tony Blair was elected leader of the Labour Party, Andrew Pearce will be asking if Labour will ever get back into power again. Looking at the papers today, Dame Tessa Jow, Labour MP for Dulwich and West Norwood, will be live in the studio. The story I, I mentioned the other day which is a story from America. It's the widow of a smoker who died of lung cancer, has been awarded damages of £13.8 billion. £13.8 billion. America's second biggest tobacco company, RJ Reynolds, was ordered to pay the punitive damages and compensation of £9.8 million to Cynthia Robinson by a jury in Florida. Now, it's a dramatic step forward in the campaign by smokers and their families to force tobacco firms to pay for the potentially deadly consequences of smoking. Well, that just about covers everybody. I suppose, in theory, I could sue a tobacco company because I smoked for years and years. There was no warning. I mean, people used to say smoking's bad for you, but then, you know, there should be warnings on a bottle of booze. Warning, drinking's bad for you. Warning if you eat, you know, there should be warnings on, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken Shops and Spudger-like and all those sort of places. You know, eating this food all the time can be bad for you. 
Moderation, fine, but eating it all the time, very bad for you. That's why we're a nation of fatties. That's why there's more diabetes around at the moment. There should be warnings on everything. So in America, they order the company to pay this, this huge sum of money. It won't ever happen. This will just never happen, I promise you. Because otherwise, every single person who's lost somebody to lung cancer will be suing the companies, and they might as well just close down. It's just not going to be happening. Nobody's going to get £14 billion. They're not going to be paying that anytime soon, because I should imagine she's probably tip the, the tip of the iceberg. Very easy to sue a company, but in fact, we all know the danger. Listen, if you like something, it's bad for you. It's a, that's the hard and fast rule. The only thing that's sort of fairly OK for you is water. You know, you can drink as much water as you want, and I don't think you're ever going to be suing any of the companies unless it's contaminated. But when it comes down to something like smoking or alcohol or, you know, chips or fish or anything that's fried or stuff like that, any burgers, you know, curry, there should be warnings everywhere because everything's bad for you. In moderation, it's fine. But smoking was always bad for you. Then eventually, uh, she said her late husband began smoking at 13, often lighting a fresh cigarette with the butt of another. Well, I did that. I did that. If I was watching a television programme and I had a cigarette on, sometimes you only have a few sort of puffs of it, and then I take another one out with the with the dying. I can't believe I used to smoke actually, but I did. But uh, and you would light it with the dying embers of the other one, then you put it out in ashtray. But I had a beautiful thing to put cigarettes out. It was a fantastic thing. It was a little metal. It looked like a little tiny tube. And I got mine in Austria. They make them in glass and they make them in metal. And it sits in the middle of an ashtray. And it, uh, it looks like a little... Imagine a little mushroom with a hole in the middle, big enough to take a cigarette. And what you do to save you stubbing the cigarette out, this thing sits in the middle of the ashtray and you literally just drop your cigarette into it. It's only about an inch tall, if that. And it stops the oxygen and it puts it out. So there's no mess of you getting... Of your, oh, of your fingers and sort of dog ends all... Oh, it's horrible. You watch people buy bus stop. The amount of people I've seen smoking of late... And you feel like saying... My friend Graham's really odd. He hates people smoking. If we're walking from Twickenham Station and the person in front is smoking, he puts his hand over his nose and rushes past them because he can't bear second-hand smoke. I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm OK. I mean, I don't get that sort of funny about it. He, he gets really, really funny about it. Talking of funny shouldn't laugh at this one because it's not really funny. It actually had the potential to be very dangerous. There was um, the Somerset Steam and County Fair the other day. And so what the fire brigade thought they would do to prove, you know, how good they are is to set fire to a car and then put it out. You know, I mean, it all seems fairly straightforward, doesn't it? You know what's happening. Yes, they, they have the car there and they've got a lot of people standing around, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the fire brigade. And so he sets fire to the car. Unfortunately, the car, the whole thing goes up. They can't put it out. And it then starts rolling towards one of those classy uptown grill wagons, you know, where they do burgers and sausages that haven't ever seen meat, and things like that. It started heading towards it. And so uh, it now got completely out of hand. Uh, Surprisingly, uh, (laughs) neither the organiser of the show held at Loham near Langport, nor Light Aviation Fire and Rescue Service could be reached for a comment. Too busy, you know, going, don't answer the, don't answer the phone, don't answer the phone, we're going to look like complete idiots. And so here is the, uh, the fireman here, and it, it stops, the, because the car rolls away, and, and then the race is on to try and stop it rolling away any further, and it, it and so the poor people with their, with their little chip wagon are going, keep it away from here, keep it away from here, it might actually cook the food, keep it away, keep it away, so eventually they get the thing out, but I mean, it could have been an absolute disaster, you know, because presumably the food truck would have bottled gas inside it, 
I love the idea that the uh, Light Aviation Fire and Rescue Service could not be reached for a comment. <sighs> they will by the end of the day. They will by the end of the day. Uh, there's another story as well in the paper about uh, Snowy. Snowy the dog disappeared four years ago. A Parson Russell Terrier playing in her owner's garden in Hook before she vanished in a suspected theft. There are certain people, I couldn't possibly tell you what sort of people they are, who steal dogs. And they thieve full stop. And then they, they send Letria, a, you know, the owner a message saying, want it back, it's going to cost you 400 quid. As I reported yesterday on the programme, the other thing at the moment are these uh, revenge porn websites which have sprung up uh, after some girl complained to the police that her ex-boyfriend had taken naked pictures of her. They had then finished and he'd put them up on the internet as revenge for her finishing with him. She was horrified, went to the police, and the police went, there's nothing we can do about it. You took the pictures, you let him take the pictures, that's your responsibility. So my advice yesterday was, if anybody, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, person you're going out with goes, well, let's take some saucy pictures. The answer is, let's not. Because when you finish with them, or they finish with you, they're going to put them on these revenge websites, and they're all up there. She was horrified, she typed in this revenge website, and in the end, she saw pages of herself start naked for everybody to see and people can make comments which was even more horrendous so she contacts the police police says nothing we can do so she contacts the owners of the website and they go yeah sure sure we'll take them down i think it was 300 pounds they wanted for taking them down they're not because they say no no somebody's given them to us we're not going to take them down you can't make us take them down either you posed for them and so um it's a case of you know uh, she was sort of kind of stuck with it and it's it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. We've had this before where people have gone onto the internet and they thought that they were talking to a certain person. It turned out that they weren't. They were talking to somebody completely different who was recording them the other end. And then they put it up on websites. So in this girl's case, I mean, she was absolutely mortified. But my advice was don't ever pose for these sort of pictures, unless you're in that kind of industry, because they'll end up on the internet. So I think she paid the £300 and had them taken down. But, uh, but there's no saying, you know, he could put them up on various other websites. Bad. Anyway, just going back briefly to the Parson Russell Terrier, uh, the dog was found wandering along a dual carriageway in Portsmouth, more than 40 miles away. This is four years on. Four years on. Miss Smith, 50. I don't know why her age comes into it. I don't know why we say that. I'm so sorry. I do apologise. It says in the paper, Miss Smith, 50. What does it matter how old she is? You know, Miss Smith, 275 years old. Uh, says, I broke down in tears when I got a phone call to say that Snowy had been found. Staff at the Portsmouth City Dog Kennel had scanned Snowy's microchip. And this is my advice again this morning, is get your pets microchipped. There's nothing worse than they, they run a scanner and go, no, it's not microchipped. Do you think, have it done, have it done, for goodness sake. And so they, um, they actually got the dog back. And surprisingly, as it got near the lane where they, where they live... The dog got really excited, so obviously it worked out. I'm going home. I'm home, finally. Didn't have to wander on the side of a motorway for much longer. So that's good. Anyway, it's been uh, treated for infected ears, obesity and laboured breathing. That's presumably why somebody dumped her. You know, they sort of thieve it, and then they just dump them by the roadside. They don't care, these people. They really don't care. It's awful, isn't it? Quick time check for you, uh, and I shall remind you again, avoid the Hogarth roundabout. It's going to be a nightmare for the next six weeks. Don't go anywhere near it. If you live West London, find an alternative route, please. You will thank me for it. Nobody wants stress on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. It's 5.30. <laughs> 
Morning, everybody. 29 minutes to six is the time. Do you know, I've, for some reason, in the back of my mind, I thought I started to give you the weather and I didn't get any further with it. So let me tell you very quickly, warm or hot today, showers, less widespread and intense, although the showers will develop as the temperature rises. Highest temperature in London and along the south coast, the showers will be less widespread and intense. Expected temperature today around 26 degrees. Uh, at the moment, you're, uh, you're packing about 17, 18. Tonight, isolated showers initially. They'll fade away throughout the evening to leave clear periods. Later, eastern areas likely to become cloudy, while further in the west, patchy mist and fog will form. It'll be very humid as well. And tomorrow, patchy mist and low cloud, persisting along the Kent coast. Otherwise, sunny spells, dry with light winds. And then Wednesday to Friday, about 28 degrees, incidentally, tomorrow... Uh, Wednesday to Friday, warm or hot and humid, increasing chance of heavy showers developing daily, with some showers likely to become thundery and locally intense. A friend of mine had to, t- had to go to the vet the other day uh, because his dog absolutely hates thunder. Absolutely petrified. So the, um, he said, so the vet gave him whatever it was he gave it. He said, and it knocked the animal out completely. Knocked his, his dog out. He said he, he just sort of lay there on the floor, he said, with his eyes open. He said, but he's completely comatose. He said, but it works a treat. He said, so every time you get thunder, quickly eat this. Quick, 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 quick. Because some dogs hate it. It's like fireworks, don't they? They hate, they hate stuff like that. They really don't like it. Noreen says that sad news of James Garner. And this time last year, she reminds us that we were waiting eagerly a year ago for the royal baby. And now here he is wearing his petty batu clothes, twenty seven ninety nine, and available in other stores, but they're obviously like Petit Bateau, because it's, a, it's obviously a French company. I don't know why we've never liked the French. I don't know why we started dressing kids, but they've got one of these shops in Richmond, and every time I go past it, they've always got sort of terribly okay yard windows, which means they don't like have loads of stuff in the window. They might have sort of a series of little flags, and then a little pair of shorts hanging at the end of it. They go, Petit Bateau, and you go, all right. We never had that when I was younger. We didn't have anything like that at all. We just had nappies. And uh, we didn't even have the, 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 the sort of the, the Velcro nappies. We had nothing like that at all. Velcro nappies. But then the other day I had a picture fall off. The, it wasn't a picture, it was a clock. fell off the wall in the kitchen. I've got this lovely uh, atomic clock in the kitchen, which keeps, you know, I- accurate time. Well, for my kitchen it keeps accurate time. And, and I inadvertently fell into it the other day. I don't know why, I just fell into it. And the thing came off the wall. And so yesterday I get back home. And I thought, I need another hook. You've never got these things when you want them. Most people have got a toolbox. I don't have a toolbox. So I wanted one of these things, and so you can tap it into the wall, and then you can hang pictures on it. It's a picture hook. So I thought, now I could go to my friend Andy's place over the road. He's got a picture-framing shop, and I could get... I could get a packet of hooks for probably about, you know, a pound or something like that. And then I thought, wait a minute, we've got Poundland. We've got Poundland. So I trotted up there, put my full disguise on. I don't want people to see me shopping in there. And I go right to the back of the store. I'm looking around and I can't find it. And then I sort of find it. And you get a huge box full of, um, of clips and, uh, and wall hanging things and some wire and nails and everything for a pound in Poundland. It's a pound. And so I came out there, I thought, I might go around to the neighbours and start offering to hang pictures for them. I've got enough hooks to do about ten places for a pound. Which I thought was really good value. So I'm now stuck with, with about another 40 of these blasted things. I only wanted one hook, and they don't sell one hook, do they? But never mind, I've done it. And I didn't nail it into the wall, I glued it. I've got some of this super glue. This, I bought it on one of the shopping channels on the television. One of the only things I've ever bought, apart from hanging baskets. And, and I bought this super glue, and you get four packs of it, and then they give you another whole pack for free. And it's like really serious glue. Little, little drop of this stuff. I mean, you, you, you could hang your granny from the wall on this. There used to be an advert as you came into London just before you hit Earl's Court and it was of a, a car glued to one of the 
hoardings by this superglue stuff. They used to do it on the television. And the car was glued up there. Whether it was a full-size car, I don't know. Always had all the, the engine in and everything else. But it was glued up there. Then they glued a man on a chair up there as well. And he just sat there. So they glued the chair to the thing. And then a man sat on it all day and waved at people. I used to wave as well. I didn't know how much you should have waved, you know. Kept him happy. Uh, did you have any storms? I don't think we did yesterday. I mean, I'm quite good at sleeping through things. I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a light sleeper. I'm a fairly heavy sleeper at the moment. But it was just a bit warm yesterday. Just a little bit warm. A little bit too warm for me. But luckily, I have um, fans everywhere and air conditioning in the bedroom. Apparently, Polly says you can die through drinking too much water. Well, then die I must. Die I must. Uh, very excited to encounter lovely Anita Harris, says Sandra, looking fantastic with her husband in a store on Saturday. Previously saw her making an appearance at Peter Robinson, later top shop of Oxford Circus, with a PG chimp. She speaks very highly of you. Do you know, straight funny, you should mention her. How psychic is this? I'm watching one of these DVDs that Ray gave me of a Royal Variety performance, and they're doing the history of London. And Anita, who was in Cats, and her husband, uh, Mike, does... Uh, very good artist, very, very good artist... And she did a song called Burlington Bertie. And here she is singing it. And uh, she gets as much out of it as you can get out of a song. And she sings Burlington Bertie. And the crowd absolutely love her. Absolutely love her. Which is great. Uh, Zach says, I notice Hillary Clinton is going to run for USA president. Yes. But they're all doing it, aren't they, now? I mean, I mean, I'm quite delighted to see more women in politics. I think it's brilliant. I'm not sure whether or not Selena Scott is going to be absolutely ideal. According to the papers today, she's always uh, hankered after uh, being a politician. But, I mean, I don't know if she's the right person or not. I mean, based on what I remember of her from the television, I don't know. Will she be a good Tory MP? They're, they're in discussions at the moment. You know, that's it. Uh, John says, I absolutely hate being addressed as... All right, mate. Could it possibly be some kind of subliminal invitation on behalf of the greeter? I don't know. I don't, all right, what, what would you like to be addressed at? When you go into a shop, what would you... I mean, I'm not bothered about being addressed as anything, just... Uh, the other day, I had to... <laughs> I go to Marks and Spencers. For ages, they haven't had 10p bags, and I like 10p bags, because the other ones are too flimsy. And I bought two bottles of Prosecco, and I bought some other things. And so I said to the guy, I'll have two 10p bags which turned out to be 9p. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. I'm going to quibble over that. I said, well, we'll put the Prosecco in one and the other stuff in the other bag. So he looked at me. So I thought, perhaps he's deaf. So he said, uh, you want the, the Prosecco? It... So I went, yeah, the Prosecco in one bag. He didn't know what the Prosecco was. And that's why we were having a slight problem. So I had to sort of point. That's Prosecco. That goes, and then we put that in one, oh, right, in one bag? Yes. And the other in the other bag? Yes. A bit difficult sometimes, isn't it, in supermarkets? Perhaps I should pack my own bags. I wouldn't be much better at it, but uh, at least I'd make the effort. At least I'd make the effort. Um, uh, another one here. Have you seen the the Red Arrows display? Yes, I saw them the other day. And one here says, The BBC waste a fortune. I've had three film crews out with me in the last four years. The independent company had a team of two people, one producer, interviewing one person, recording vision and sound. The French TV station sent two people as well. The BBC team was six strong, plus a seven-seater mini, mini cab. Yes, they all seem to overcompensate, don't they? Especially as we, uh, we realised the other day that they've got something like 6,500 journalists. Well, look how many people they've got reading the weather. Len says there's a weather presenter on uh, television up here called Sarah Blizzard. No, that can't be. Really? <laughs> I love the idea. Uh, you are right, Steve. Early mornings are the very best time, and this morning sees me enjoying a lovely cup of tea and joining the 39 Club, and it hardly hurt at all. 
Yes, I too am of a 1954 vintage. Happy birthday to me, for I'm a jolly good fellow. <laughs> now I've got to give myself the bumps. Nobody does the bumps anymore, do they? Nobody does the bumps anymore. They really don't. So, poor old Gary, of the 54 vintage. Yeah, but you see, you can't be a member of the 39 club, which is what everybody on this programme... Nobody, nobody goes above 39 in this, this programme. It just does not exist. It really doesn't. You get to 39, then you start going backwards. <laughs> 84850, Steve at LBC. Paul in Cheshire hates over-familiarity. He said, there's a woman at our work calls everybody, me included, baby or beautiful. I'm 51. He said, I'm neither a baby nor beautiful. I can imagine. You come from Cheshire. Not known for attractive people, is it? It's known for footballers and ghastly-looking houses. Uh, do they th- still have a Thursday market at Kempton Racecourse? Yes, they do. They do. And uh, today, I think, at Max in Twickenham, they've got a little little craft market going on. So that'll be interesting. Hope it doesn't rain today. I'm looking out the window. It's a bit overcast. But then days like this generally turn out, don't they, to be absolutely sort of boiling hot. The Daily Mail, apart from talking about Selena Scott in talks to be a Tory MP, is uh, camera. This was before Putin came back with an answer to what everybody wants to know. Are you going to make it easy for people to uh, go and see the crash site. Are you going to make it easy for these bodies to be returned? And when are you going to start doing it? Those were the hard and fast questions. But in fact, David Cameron then warned Vladimir Putin before all of this this blew up. uh, His billionaire cronies will have their assets frozen in London unless he cooperates. How much money have we got then? Have we really got billions of pounds? Have we really got that? 298 bodies. That's how many people shot down. And the families want them back. You know, we're not going to waste time over this. You're either going to do that or there will be sanctions. Whether or not you're affected by them, you know, we, we, we could do an awful lot of damage to uh, Russia. We could, we could close all sorts of things off to them, apart from freezing the, uh, the assets of some billionaires, which quite clearly they put over in this country, ready to get out if things go a little bit pear-shaped. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, another one here. This is uh, just trying to weave as many things in as possible. A lot of people saying you should drink about two litres of water a day. Two litres of water a day. Wow. Uh, Ian says tributes to James Garner mentioned Maverick and Rockford. Forgot to mention The Great Escape. Not on this programme. We mentioned The Great Escape. We did it a short while ago. Monty Python fans around the world. Anybody see it? They were doing it live, I believe, on, uh, on Gold the last time. As the average age is 70. And uh, lots of people watched on TV... Uh, at cinemas worldwide. And uh, VIPs in the audience, Mike Myers, Eddie Izzard, uh, Rob Brydon, Lee Mack, and James Corden. Uh, James Corden just likes going out. I've come to the conclusion he just likes going out to places. I liked him when he featured in Rizzle Kicks's uh, Mama Can't Do Whatever It Is She Can't Do. The final light of Monty Python goes round the world. There won't be a dry seat in the house. Thank you for everything. And they've all made about 2.2 million, I think. It's not bad for ten shows, is it? I must have a word with my boss about the fee. It's obviously I'm obviously not in line with what elderly people are getting nowadays. If a 71-year-old can get 2.2 million for doing ten shows, I mean, I could do half of that. I think it's quite good. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> why not? I'm worth it, as they say. Uh, on the subject of James Garner, uh, he was an actor who you always loved, says Jeff. No matter what film, he grew on you. He was a bit young for Maverick, but adored the Rockford Files. I can't forget The Great Escape. He was just a nice person, wasn't he? He died at home. He collapsed, and, and they found him. And you think, oh, it's such a shame. But he was 86, he'd had a good innings, and he was nice. 
Married to the same woman for what, 58 years, I think we, we pointed out earlier on. The wisdom of Helen Flanagan makes the papers. We've not mentioned Helen Flanagan for ages. I thought she'd disappeared, along with the threepenny bit and the tram. But no, she's turned up again. Uh, this is part 976. She's desperate for a baby, but worries. My boobs are already quite big and they'll get really huge, won't they? I'm pretty small and my feet aren't massive, so I think it might be like a problem for me if they end up a triple J. Will I not keep falling over or will I not be able to walk? I mean, initially, you'd not be able to talk, ideally. That would be a great thing, as long as you didn't speak again. You can't believe people are that daft, can you? You really cannot believe that people are that daft. Other stories which you're waking up to today. Two children a week are rushed to hospital because of alcohol abuse. There's a a boy, a a girl here. She drank half a litre of vodka and fell into a fountain at the age of 11. The age of 11. Uh, there's another one here. Jack Smith started knocking back spirits at the age of 11. He's now 18. He said, we got older kids to buy the booze for us. I had friends taken to hospital, but that did not stop us. I mean, he's from Millbank in central London. I mean, you're quite, you're quite lucky, actually, to have survived. He says, I've grown out of it now. We'd have parties every weekend. It was a badge of honour. I know, it shows how stupid people uh, were, and probably still are, actually. The one thing that the police will tell you is that the majority of the arrests in London are for alcohol abuse. Absolutely alcohol abuse. People are drunk. You know, people get thrown out of clubs. It's absolutely terrible. Um, and snooty MPs. Oh, I have to bring this one in a moment, actually. This is quite an interesting one. It's an MP story, but it's actually about the attitude of police and ushers at Westminster. Details in a sec. Quarter to six. Morning, everybody. It's nice to have your company. Uh, Lawrence in Bishop Stortford says, if I started knocking them back at 11, I'd get knocked back into next week. Why do these kids get away with it? Because they get other people to buy the booze for them. What they do is they go out with sort of older kids, and the older kids go to the off-licences, and they go and buy the booze. Generally not off-licences, because they're far more hot on it, but they go to corner shops. Corner shops who are looking to sort of sell booze, and, you know, they'll send an older person in there to go and buy them booze. Now, I've lost track of the amount of times over the years. Not so much now. Somebody says to me, excuse me, mate, can you go and get, buy me some cigarettes? No, I can't. No, I can't. Definitely not. Don't know why I say, no, I'm sorry I can't. Because I'm not remotely sorry that I can't do it. Uh, Steve Allen, I drive from Dulwich to Barking every morning at 4.30 every day. The reason for this is there? Was the reason for you driving? Is that work? Or something like that. So the snooty MPs have issued a string of complaints over the attitudes of police and ushers at Westminster. In a survey seen by The Sun, some called gun guards sexist and discourteous. One said condescending cops left her feeling flat by constantly asking for her pass. The complaint surfaced in a poll of MPs and aides by the Commons Administration Committee. Some 38 MPs, 27 Westminster-based MP staff and 49 constituency-based workers were quizzed anonymously over the past year. And the report found that some MPs reported issues around sexist, ageist or contemptuous attitudes, sometimes related to internal hierarchy and perception of status. It's funny, isn't it? MPs, they, 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 sort of, they become so precious. So, so precious, and yet, really, we all know exactly what they're like. It's, what do you mean you haven't... Why do I have to show you my pass? I said, get your pass out. Just show it automatically. I mean, I've got a pass here. And, and the, the reason that you show it every day is because they know who you are, then. I'm not saying they don't know who I am, but if you've got a pass, every time I go through a door, the computer will put flash... I've seen, I've been on the reception, it flashes up your picture, so they know who's been through all the doors, so I can be tracked throughout the building. So, in other words, if something happens to me in the building, they can go, wait a minute, where is he? We can see him. Oh, there he is. They can find me. They can see the last door I went through. 
So uh, I have no problem with things like this. I never understand why, you know, people go into a supermarket and they use a credit card or a debit card and you don't realise that the supermarket's keeping the details. They know exactly how much you spend every month. They know what you buy on a regular basis. They know everything about you. Every single thing about you. Claire Balding has sort of got to that worrying stage at the moment. She's, uh, she's shocked and surprised by her popularity. Uh, but she's now worried, she said, the public may get bored of her. There is that danger, Claire. There is that danger that they might. You just have to limit what you do. She says, at an event, I almost got as nice a reaction as Anton Deck. The stars have really aligned for me. I'm not trying to be dazzled by it, but in ten years' time, I'm going to look back on this period of my life and think, how did that happen? Yes, I mean, I, I agree totally. I agree totally. I mean, but the reason... That, that she works, and not on every programme, not on every programme, but I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, I thought, I thought the cycling thing was maybe a little bit too far, but anything she does with horse racing and any of the other stuff is, is great. She's very personable. She knows how to speak properly. She knows her stuff. She's not an idiot by any stretch of the imagination, unlike some of the people on television who you sit there listening to them babble. I mean, honestly, every time you watch Fern Cotton on the television, you begin to wonder how she ever got to that stage in her career. She can barely string two words together. It's like Dermot O'Dreary. I don't quite understand how he ever got where he is, but he has. And for that, I'm sure we should be eternally grateful. Uh, I suddenly realised why I kept something earlier on, and I've just remembered it was a survey that came out, I think. Uh, the BBC were doing a survey. If you're a freelance, they, uh, they ask you certain questions, and the reason I kept it is because I was a little bit shocked by it. Not, not because I was shocked because I'm naive. It's just that I didn't think in this day and age you were out to ask these sort of questions. The BBC's Director-General, Tony Hall, has agreed with its 31-page questionnaire to freelancers seeking work. So, in other words, if you seek work at the BBC and you're a freelancer, they have a 31-page questionnaire. I mean, it's entirely voluntary. But let's say, if you don't fill it in, there's very little chance of work. And what do they ask you on here? Are you gay? I mean, I can't believe that anybody would ever ask that kind of thing. Uh, have you ever received free school meals? Have you had parents on benefits? Would you describe yourself as a bisexual, a gay man, a gay woman, a lesbian, a heterosexual, straight, or, or prefer not to say? Have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, Tony Hall, I don't know what you're thinking of. He says here that the, uh, it's entirely voluntary, these forms. Uh, to ensure we're reflecting the diversity of the UK. Really? You surprise me, Mr Hall. I thought that sounds exactly like Big Brother going, OK, how many gays have we got in this building? OK, too many quota. OK, cut them down. I'm surprised they haven't actually put down ethnicity as well. Black, pink, green, blue, grey, any other colour you can think of. But to ask somebody if, you know, if you've received free school meals, had parents on benefits, or would describe yourself as gay, bisexual, lesbian. I mean, strangely enough, no mention of a transgender but I'm assuming the BBC could probably spot those by themselves. What an odd thing to do, though. What an odd thing to ask people. Very, very odd thing. Front page of the Metro this morning. The families of the people killed on the Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 have pleaded with Vladimir Putin to send their children home. They've heard of bodies being left to rot in the summer heat at the side of the road. There are pictures in the papers today. They're in these uh, body bags and of course the temperature will get quite hot because the, the person is uh, slowly decomposing in there. They need to get these people into refrigerated lorries as quickly as possible. There were reports of Russian-backed militants looting the corpses where the wreckage came down at Skipole Airport where the flight began its final journey. Celine Frederiques held up a photo of her son's Bryce 23 and his 20-year-old girlfriend, Daisy, as she issued a direct appeal. They're lying there on the floor, 
somewhere. She says, I don't know where they are. I want them back home. And you can understand her frustration and her annoyance and her her depressed attitude over it, that somewhere by the side of a road in a body bag, perhaps not even with a name on it, is her son and his girlfriend, and she wants them home. She does not want them lying by the side of the road. And you would want exactly the same. I can't think of, of anybody who would ever want this, because you want to make sure they're being treated with some sort of dignity. That's what you want, and you're looking at the people who are manhandling the bodies, medical staff, removing a victim. And they literally put them into these huge bin bags and then they just move them to the side of the road where they where they leave them until a lorry can pick them up. But you want to know, where's my loved one? When are they coming home? You know, they've been stripped of any dignity out there. And for the relatives, it must be the most awful thing imaginable. The rebels have admitted they've taken the black boxes and... Uh, and uh, we're not sure what they're going to do. They say that uh, they're going to hang on to them. They're under our control now. What's it, what's it going to show? That, you, that the plane was blown out of the sky? What more do we need to know? Sky apologising in a lot of the uh, papers today after their journalist Colin Brazier was seen going through a crash victim's belongings. On air, he picked up personal items such as keys and a child's flask. He then admitted we shouldn't really be doing this. He also described the crash site. He said, I've been walking around, coming across body parts all the time, many of them charred beyond recognition. Men, women and children, indeterminate, frankly, you can't tell. A Sky News spokesman said both Colin and Sky News apologised profusely for any offence caused. I mean, it's, it's, he's in a difficult situation, as I pointed out earlier on today, because he's over there. People want to see, we have an insatiable appetite for news, and tragic though it is, he has to pick over the things and say this belonged, because that's what he's doing, that's what he does as a reporter. They've obviously understood it's extremely sensitive, and so they've, uh, they've apologised, and he's apologised as well. I mean, to admit on air, you know, I shouldn't really be doing it, isn't, isn't saying I shouldn't be doing it. What he's saying is I realise that some people see this as insensitive, but as a reporter, sometimes you have to do things that, uh, that show people the ghastly side of these atrocities. There's a professional cyclist in the paper today and an air hostess. They cheated death twice after deciding not to take, take the Malaysian Airlines flights. Uh, one of these people was competing... Uh, in his native Holland, and he booked a seat from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. Four months earlier, he was about to get on MH370. But he said, I could have taken that one quite easily, but he didn't take that one, so they, they changed flights. I mean, that, as they say, is almost an act of God. Malaysian Airlines are going to offer refunds to any passengers who are too scared to fly on its planes. I mean, they do seem to be having the worst PR year that they could ever have to lose one flight and then another comes down. Uh, it also defended itself from claims that the pilot of MH17 should not have been flying over Ukrainian airspace, saying it never strayed into, restric into restricted airspace. Uh, they're not sure, actually, whether or not the carrier can survive after two disasters in only five months. There is that danger that they might have to close down because it's absolutely costing a small fortune in, in compensation and they're just they're not getting the best the best out of it, which they could have done. Danny Minogue is mounting a bid to reignite her showbiz career in Britain, but she doesn't want to be a judge on a programme. She wants to go behind the scenes. She wants to be a producer, which is actually quite a good thing, actually. So not as a talent judge. She said, I've been trying out for loads of different stuff. And, uh, and there's a story as well in the paper today about a former city PA who's defended her tell-all book about the antics of her bosses amid claims that she's made it all up. 
Victoria Knowles says she was not worried by reports that ex-colleagues will sue over her self-publicised The PA, which contains tales of office sex and bullying. I don't care, she said. It's all true, and I can back it up. Don't mess with me, she says. It's LBC. Still plenty more to come on the uh, first early morning breakfast show. Please avoid the Hogarth roundabout. Please avoid... It's six weeks. It's going to be uh, closed. So that's the, uh, the, the flyover little bit there. But it's all the traffic filtered up to the traffic lights. <clears throat> and you'll sit there for God knows how long. Uh, Richmond Star is to get a new lease of life. The only building in Britain with a hilltop view so beautiful, protected by an act of parliament. It's going to be about to... It's the Star and Garter home, incidentally. <clears throat> 86 flats. They used to keep all the wounded servicemen in there, but they've gradually pushed them out. And now they're going to turn it into... Fl- Everything's turning into flats nowadays. It's a great shame. And millions of hard-working Brits set for a pensions boost. All of that in your texts and emails. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. It's next. Steve. Morning, everybody. So, depending on whether you believe what Putin says, things might be moving forward. All the families want is their loved ones back. They're not interested in anything else. They know what happened. They just want these bodies back, and they want them back soon. David Cameron's threatened to freeze the Russian billions of the billionaires who've got their money over in this country. Selena Scott is in talks to be a Tory MP. Katie Price is still droning on to anybody who'll listen about her boring love life, which is of no interest to anybody at all. Unfortunately, the son have paid so much money for it, they're going to run it over four days. Very difficult to pass your driving test in London. They make it more difficult. Who did save Richard Branson's mother and the perils of hiding your door key? All of that and more on the Hogarth Roundabout on LBC. Hogarth Roundabout closed because it's going to take six weeks to do it. At least they appear to be working on it, you know, from the early hours of the morning up until late at night. But avoid the area. If you're coming in from Richmond, if you're coming in from West London on 316, find an alternative route. You will sit in traffic. You will end up becoming very, very frustrated. And I only mention it because even over the weekends, there were queues all over the place. And it's going to just... Today being Monday morning, this is the first proper, proper back-to-work day that you're going to experience down there, and it's going to be hell. Magna Carta, Steve, says Francis, was signed... Uh, at Runnymede on the bank of the River Thames. Yes, what they're saying is that it could have been on this island. I don't believe it. Because they've got this memorial at Runnymede where they say the Magna Carta was signed. Because it was a big field. They would have needed loads of people. How would they get people over to this island? I don't think there was a bridge then. They'd have had to ferry people over. It would have been a bit ridiculous. So I agree. I think it's just to sell a property. It's just to sell a property. I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking to what, it, what I've known about for years and years and the fact that I've been down there and actually seen it. And I don't care what anybody else says. Uh, Esther McVeigh is in the uh, papers today. They say immature tantrums are typically the preserve of toddlers, unless you're an elected representative. Several senior Conservative Party members allegedly resorted to tactics favoured by two-year-olds to get their own way during the reshuffle. Esther McVeigh reportedly informed the Prime Minister she wouldn't budge from his office until she was given a new government post. During the sit-in, the employment minister's accused of crossing her arms and giving David Cameron the silent treatment. I don't believe a word of it. Do you believe that kind of stuff? Do you believe... I mean, admittedly, I mean, when I worked with her, she was perfectly pleasant. There's nothing the matter with Esther at all. It's just that, you know, people who sort of go from what they call normal life in entertainment to all of a sudden working in power. I can't... I think she'd always be a yes girl. I think she'd always be told. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, 84850. Ian says, drink of choice for youngsters in this part of the world, Buckfast, made by monks at Buckfast Abbey. I think we all do that, don't we? Haven't we ever been there? I've been to some of these abbeys before and they, 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 they distill mead or something and you go, oh, I'll have some of that. 
84850, steve at And um, what else have we got in the papers? The MPs had £13,500 worth of Wimbledon freebies. Uh, John Burko reveals he was given seats in the Royal Box on Centre Court on two occasions. The first donation by the Lawn Tennis Association was worth two grand. The second four, according to the official register of interests, Imperial Tobacco provided Mark Fields, the Tory MP, with two tickets... Uh, to watch the uh, triumph of Novak over Roger Federer in the men's final, plus hospitality, valued at 1,600 quid. And Harriet Harman received two tickets for the Royal Box and lunch, valued at uh, £3,500. But loads of people get it. I don't, I mean, I, don't, I don't know how you get tickets to go sit in the Royal Box. I've never quite fathomed that one out. That's about the only one. I've, I've got no idea. But the Beckhams managed to get it, although she looked as miserable as sin, didn't she, throughout the whole of Wimbledon. Davy Boy sort of tried to sort of do a half smile. He's accused in one of the papers today of, of uh, abandoning his son, I think Cruz, in a car while he went off to a spinning class at a local gym. And his spokesman has said, it was so ridiculous, he never abandoned his son in the car. There was a nanny in air conditioning. You think, why did he bother taking him just so he sat in the car? You think, actually, as I pointed out before, I think really... You know, the Beckham should actually build a gym at home. If they've got so much money, build a gym. Don't go off to public gyms with the smelly people. Don't want to do that. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, if the weekend's wet weather dampens your spirits, you're in for a treat. Another heat wave around the corner. I don't like it. I'm not very good with heat waves at all. The Met Office has issued a, a yellow rain warning. What the God in goodness name is that? A yellow rain warning. And apparently the Environment Agency issued 29 flood alerts, apparently, down in Essex the other day. Down in Essex. They were flooded out. One of the hospitals, I think, uh, that had to close their A&E for a while. Well, they bailed out. And in Essex, so in low-lying areas, there was so much water that was floating around. Terrible, isn't it, really? And uh, police have urged motorists to avoid unnecessary journeys. Meanwhile, the Lambeth County show in Brixton, South London, had to be abandoned after a bout of torrential rain. Isn't it funny? Every other country said, oh, great, rain. We go, oh, no, not rain again. We get really funny about it. Oh, it's too hot. Oh, it's too wet. Too cold. Terrible. Um... I liked the story of a car which carried five people plunged 30 feet over a cliff and they survived. 30 feet. The plunge happened at Birchington in Kent at 9pm on Saturday. The three casualties taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injury and another man and woman walked away from the wreckage. The roads were closed. The police are now trying to work out how they came to be going over the cliff. Probably some, some of these cases you see of people driving, they're, they're probably following sat-navs. I see no end of people who follow sat-navs. They've got no idea where they're going. No idea. And still touring Dawn French in her 30 million minutes. And she's got loads more dates. She's, uh, she's going through uh, August up to, up to December with her one-woman show. Very emotional. Very good. And the public absolutely, absolutely love Dawn French. So she's had fantastic reviews for the show. As indeed, I tell you what, I want, to do, I want to talk to Lenny Henry again. I've decided next time I get an opportunity, I'm going to talk to him. Because I've got so many questions after he did the Royal Variety Show. And Dickie Henderson said, this young man could be a star. And I want to know if he thought at the time on the Royal Variety, whether or not he thought he was going to be a star. Interesting. Uh, Rolf Harris. Uh, apparently the town he comes from in Australia, they've removed all the pictures from him, they've removed everything, they've taken away the freedom of the city, they said they don't want to be associated with anything like that, and he's dodged Victorian prison for a modern prison. He was driven straight from court, as we reported on LBC the other day, uh, to a fairly uh, cushy place where he gets preferential treatment. This is HMP Bullingdon in Oxfordshire, where they say 
he'll serve probably about three years out of this five-year sentence, they say about three years. And a source uh, said the way he's been treated is highly unusual. If you're convicted of a serious crime at Southwark Crown Court, you always got sent to Wandsworth, no questions. Staff at the London jail where Max Clifford also had a cell were expecting the children's entertainer. It's got a dedicated hospital for prisoners who are in poor health. He's 84. I mean, it depends whether he lives three years, doesn't it, I suppose. And uh, they say now this move was to make it easier for guards to monitor him and prevent attacks from fellow inmates. I don't think... These are, these are historical events. The reason he's gone to a modern prison is because they obviously quite clearly... And we don't make the decisions. They have to make the decisions uh, higher up. They obviously think he's not a danger to anybody. He's certainly not going to be a danger in prison to anybody, I don't think. But I don't think any of the prisoners ever attack him. If anything, they'd be wanting their pictures taken with him because they act very strangely in prison. If he'd murdered somebody, that would be completely different. But they see these as historical. And I bet you anything, the prison he's in, which is fairly open, I don't think they have a history of, uh, of attacks down there in Bullingdon in Oxfordshire. Other stories in the papers today, the ones which are making the news. I still love the, uh, the Cybermen walking out of St Paul's Cathedral. I think that's just one of the best pictures I've ever seen in ages and ages. Not that I ever believed in the Cybermen, but they were, they were believable, I suppose, for those people who enjoyed Doctor Who. Six things that you didn't know last week. Six things you didn't know last week. Japanese women burn more than anybody else in the world under the sun. You know that? Japanese, did you know that? I didn't know that at all. It's the kind of thing you sort of worry about, isn't it? I went to bed worrying about this the other night. I wonder if Japanese women burn more in the sun than anybody else. They, they apparently don't. I burn in the sun terribly badly, but then people always go to me, you've been in the sun. And I go, I have, you know, I have. One in five bottles of Jacob's Creep wine are fake. You know that? I mean, you didn't know that. You didn't know that last week, did you? And one in five bottles. I couldn't tell the difference. I don't drink wine very much. I'm just doing Prosecco. Although I nearly took out the kitchen ceiling the other day. You have to watch Prosecco corks. By God, they're bottled under pressure. 60% of you check email while on holiday. I do that. I do that. I check email on holiday. I cannot not check email on holiday. It becomes a bit addictive. Mind you, I've got a friend of mine who's addicted to his phone anyway. He cannot go anywhere without the phone, and he's constantly on it, either on the bus or walking around, always on the phone, always checking to see if he's got any emails. Buying a house is more stressful than bankruptcy, divorce, or even bereavement. I think, I see, I thought bereavement was up there with the top. I mean, I know that we've all sold, prop- well, most of you have sold property before, and it's terribly, terribly depressing, because you think it's getting nearly there, and you're like, have we completed it? Have we not completed I don't know, we've compl- we got the keys? We've got the ki- We haven't got the keys. They want more money, they want more money. We're in a chain. How many's in the chain? Oh, my God, fathers. It's just ridiculous. Two-thirds of people who take cruises say they never step foot off the boat. I didn't take, I didn't do, I was on the boat. I didn't want to get, what's the point? You don't get on the boat to get off it again. And they, they had various excursions. I did do it once. I got on the little tender, went into Barcelona. It was so boring. I got back on the tender and went back out to the ship again. More than happy. And uh, how much do you spend on fad diets and fitness regimes in a lifetime? 40,000, I'm told. 40,000 pounds. Absolutely ridiculous. Quarter past six. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Welcome to Monday morning. Welcome to Chaos in London for the traffic especially at the Hogarth Roundabout. I'm sorry to mention it all the time, but I know there's going to be people sitting in traffic and I'm going to think, had you only listened to LBC, you would have been better informed and you might get to work a little bit less stressed. Uh, I work at the MOD in Whitehall, says Catherine, and we're guarded by all the gun police outside on the steps every day. Nothing less than friendly and courteous and always say good morning. A little bit disconcerting at first, but now we're used to it. Yes, this is after the MPs started complaining in a, in a secret survey that uh, they thought they were less than courteous to them. Which is a bit of a worry. Uh, talking of, uh, of courteous, if you want to take your driving test, don't do it in London. Go up to Kelso 
in Scotland. You know why? 70% pass rate in Kelso. 70% pass rate. So, in other words, I think because it's the open roads and because it's, uh, it's sort of... The, the roads up there are quieter. Down here in Belvedere, in London, south-east London, it's only a 31% pass rate. The advice being then, go to Kelso. Are you allowed to do that? I often wondered, actually. I mean, I took my driving test where we lived. But I wonder, could you move to another part of the country and say, I'd like to take my driving test in Kelso now? Or, if actually, most of the places, Stranraer gets a 67% pass rate. So, in other words, could I say, I live in London, but I want to go to Stranraer and take my driving test? I mean, is, there any, is there any law about saying you have to take it where you live? Mind you, if you take it up in Stranraer, then you come and try and drive in London. My, my parents hated driving in London. Even my brother hates driving in London. Gets very stressed. Barrow in Furness has got a 66% pass rate on the driving test. However, the worst places, the lowest pass rates... Um, it's all London, I'm afraid. Ever so sorry. Belvedere, 31% pass rate for people who want to take the driving test. Wanstead. I used to cycle as a boy over Wanstead flats on my bicycle. Uh, Barking, 32%. It's all those areas, isn't it? Woodgreen, 33% pass rate. And uh, poor old Stevenage in Hertfordshire, 35% pass rate. It's not very good, is it? Not very good. You need to move to Scotland. That's obviously the place to actually take your driving test because they've got a much better pass rate. Very sad hearing about uh, James Garner. And uh, and Rennie says, I met Anita Harrison, husband, last Saturday at the 50 Plus show. She looked and was fabulous. Very enjoyable show she did. I know she is fabulous. But isn't it funny that, that I'd forgotten about the 50 Plus show, but I, uh, now you, you mention it, I remember seeing the advert which said that uh, Anita was going to be there, Anita Harris, and having seen it literally yesterday watching her on the Royal Variety performance. And she says, I met you 30 years ago on a crossing in downtown Leighton. was on the way to see you on a gardening panel. I've still got the tape in my collection. Yes, we did do a gardening show in, um, in a big, uh, like a B&Q. We did a number of gardening shows, which I hosted, and I've still got pictures of those as well. Black and white, I hasten to add. I'm, I'm not saying it was that long ago that we never had... Um, that we never had colour, but I remember doing it. And loads of people turned up because we used to have gardening programmes on LBC and people were really into their gardening. And uh, with people like Christine Walkden, the compost queen. Ew, I used to love Christine Walkden. And uh, we've, we've had her on since. And loads of other people who you see on QVC now, Matthew Biggs, you see up on there, Richard Jackson, all started LBC. That's where they all started. And so we used to do these gardening shows. I did one at Squires, hosting it there. And we had a roving mic. Knuckles was our roving mic, and we did it. Because I remember going into this particular B&Q, I think it was, and it said, you know, the target is to take more than £17,000 in the day. This was back... St- this was years ago. Years and years ago. When they were... T- people were complaining about the Sunday opening. We were going, no, 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 we like going to these places on a Sunday. So a crossing in downtown Leighton, eh? My goodness me, Kerry. How interesting. Uh, Neil, he says, I'll second that. Moving is more stressful than divorce. It's and bereavement, apparently. We were just saying how stressful the last few weeks have been, and this being our final week before the big move on Friday, the stress levels are pretty high. How lucky is Lorraine having a level-headed, calm person like me? It's awful, isn't it, really? It, it is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. So I, I sympathise with anybody. I've done it a few times. Don't want to really do it again. Uh, Angela says, Ocado, part of Waitrose, Prosecco at five sixty nine a bottle, bought 18 bottles for my picnic in Hyde Park this week. Shop quickly! Shop quickly. She's in a, an unconditioned office, an, uncon- an, an un-air-conditioned office. <laughs> uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Front pages of the papers coming up here in a moment.
I'll run through those. Everybody telling me what their, their choice of drinks are. Mo says, I'm going to hospital to have an operation tomorrow, so we'll miss your show. Dear. Um, I used to work for a driving school. There's nothing stopping people applying for any test centre they want. So I think that's a brilliant idea, don't you? That's a brilliant idea. Take it in Kelso. It's the big pass. Don't forget Andrew Pierce here with uh, breakfast this morning for Nick Ferrari all this week. Front of the Metro, please send our children home. Putin is the appeal. And uh, we don't know whether or not he's going to respond to this. Uh, Cheryl Cole. Sorry, Cheryl Vecini. Cheryl, whatever you're calling her now. Apparently she's just decided to opt the one name, Cheryl. And uh, she's got a new picture, which of course is so airbrushed it bears no resemblance to Cheryl Cole, knee Tweedy, as was. So she's on the front page of the Metro. They seem to have done away, finally, actually, with Neil Sean's very lacklustre showbiz kind of tittle-tattle, which was generally about out of date, about three weeks. We'd done it on the programme weeks before, and then all of a sudden you read something and you think, why are they not getting rid of that? So I've not seen it for a while. So either he's departed to past just new, or he's just departed. Full stop. Uh, James Garner mentioned on the front page as well, because he died at the age of 86. And to all intents and purposes, everybody went, what a nice man. What a nice man. Uh, The Sun, Putin's boxed in. David Cameron personally issuing a dramatic 24-hour ultimatum to Putin last night over the flight MH17. And uh, he wants the flight recorders and they want the bodies released. Uh, But their main story is the dreary old Katie Price. The dreary old can't hang on to a man for love nor money Katie Price. And uh, now telling us about... And this is a four-day story, incidentally. They're running four bits on it. I asked Stig the other day, I said, well, you know, thank goodness only one. He said, no, 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 it's running, running over four days. So by the end of the week, you'll hate her even more than you do now. Selena Scott... In talks to be a Tory MP. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm not sure actually whether or not that'll, that'll work. Uh, Cameron warning Vladimir Putin his billionaire cronies will have their assets frozen in London. Daily Express running on a, a very similar vein. Uh, talking about the death train taking the bodies as the West gets tough on Putin. How much notice he takes of it, we have no idea. Birthday boy George is king of fashion. It's an old story. We did it the other day on the programme. Millions of hard-working Britons are set for a pensions boost with the most radical changes in a century unveiled today. The Mirror asking the question, what have you got to hide, Mr Putin, as bodies are dragged from the scene and stuffed in trains while the flight uh, black boxes are spirit away, spirited away by pro-Russian forces. And that's why people are saying, what have you got to hide? Uh, 30 degrees, it's going to last all week. And the Independent saying, make Putin's oligarchs pay for flight MH17. Don't forget, we have a free podcast for you up every day. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, then you can download the free app. Uh, It will help you, and it automatically will send the programme to your phone or your device, and it's well worth doing. So it's lbc.co.uk, and you can learn how to podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. At Steve Allen Show. Please avoid the Hogarth roundabout. I'm back tomorrow morning at four. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen back whenever you want with our podcast service. Later on, LBC, Andrew Pierce is in for Nick Ferrari all this week. Coming up next, though, Lisa Aziz with the morning news.